Hey, welcome back to the Blue Collar Off-Road Podcast, episode 139. I'm Graham, I'm here with Luke, Richie, and Cody. And we have Hans Scherer, uh, the owner of X-Rock, or uh, Tech... I, um, whatever, yeah, you said something else on it, but you're the person in charge of it, you own it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, and... I'm personally not a huge X-Rock style wheeling nerd, but Cody loves that shit. And oh, yeah. Luke likes it. Uh, I don't dislike it. I think you guys do some really cool shit, and the time trials and stuff are interesting. So, I don't know. Where do we want to start with all this? Are you a go-fast guy? Is that your thing? Like I, I don't know. I just don't like cones. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good at going through cones. <laughs> For what it's worth, the cones are kind of there to keep you honest in what we do. It's like mm. a whole lot different. Like if you ever went to a you know a We Rock event or whatever where they set their cones at like 101 inches apart, yeah, that's not. Yeah. You're not going to see that at one of our events. It, okay. Our stuff's like Trailbreaker, where like you know the cones are there to keep you honest. If you're hitting a cone you're probably trying to cheat the line or doing something wrong. You're not, you know what I mean? It's not a cone dodging event by any stretch. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's okay. pretty cool, yeah, I was yeah. I was mixing you up a little bit with We Rock then because I know they're very strict about that, and that's just what yeah, I Yeah, they run classic format rules and all this stuff. And, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. They just are doing – honestly, it's a totally different game. Like, it's hard yeah. to even act like it's the same sport at this point. People do, but it's kind of – not. I mean, like I said, the closest thing to what we do would be the, you know, Little Rich's Trailbreaker out of Trail Hero that he does every year. It's pretty much, you know, the East Coast version of that with a couple twists and turns and whatnot done mm. in a series form. So, sweet. Well, uh, where where do we start here? Um, Let's go how- all the way back to the beginning. How the hell did you get into wheeling? So, and talk that- a little bit about yourself too. Yeah, so that's an interesting question, guys, Um, and I think it's going to set the tone for the rest of what we talk about here, honestly, because the way I got into wheeling, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably a lot different than the way most guys got into wheeling. Um, I am originally an extreme sports athlete, right? I grew up riding uh, BMX bikes, what I'd say semi-professionally. I don't know how old you guys are and if you have any interest in BMX or any of that kind of stuff. But we did like dirt jumping and, you know, street riding and stuff like that with guys like, you know, Van Homan, uh, Robbie Morales, Taj Mahalik, you know, Joe Rich. Okay. Yep. Kind of guys. Those guys were all local to the area and we dug trails and rode and, you know, did whatever together. Uh, Derek Adams, the guy who founded Little Devil Clothing, if you're familiar with him. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how I got into wheeling by way of, you know, like I grew up skateboarding, riding BMX, jumping dirt bikes, doing all that kind of actual extreme sports, cliff diving, you know, you name it. Like I never jumped out of airplanes, but pretty much anything short of that, you know, actual, (laughs) what I will call real extreme sports as opposed to like, you know, what rock crawling kind of is these days. So anyway, um, what that did for me, I guess, is put me in a situation where you, you hit a point in your life when you're, competing in those sorts of events and doing that kind of stuff where you're pressing yourself hard enough that, I mean, you can go out and like do tech stuff and do like nose bonks off rails and things like that. You'll probably be all right. But if you're going to like eventually start going big and hucking big tricks off of stuff, 
you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to destroy a bunch of stuff. You're just, you know, you're mm-hmm. constantly, I don't know. You get to a point where you're old enough that you're either going to be like, I got to do this, which a lot of my friends did. You know, like I said, they went on like road fools and went all over the world doing that sort of thing. Or you got to like say, all right, enough is enough. Like I'm going to work a job and do whatever I'm going to do and try and, you know, live a semi-normal life and not 100% commit to this. But it kind of crosses over in that like if you're going out and destroying your body – and then you're out of commission for three months because your knee's blown out or, you know, like I've broken every bone in my body, pretty much two vertebrae in my back, like my one arm four times, the other one twice, you know, I mean, just countless, <laughs> you name it, crack my skull open. I mean, it's just like you get tired of doing that. This sounds exactly like why I stopped riding dirt bikes and snowboarding as much as I used to, because then I have to go to work on Monday, and I can't just keep getting fucked up on Sunday or Saturday. (laughs) Exactly. At some point, you're like, you know, I'm getting older, and like, it takes longer for me to heal, number one. Number two, I got adult responsibilities. I got to decide what I'm going to do, especially if you're going to like have a family and a kid and wife, and you're like, dude, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with this, right? So like, rock crawling to me was this thing like so i didn't really do anything with off-road vehicles from a kid i always like you know saw like i grew up in that era of dudes with like big lifted square body chevys with glass packs on them with like 40s and 42s and (laughs) and it's like that's cool you know you got like a triple chrome roll bar bro with your casey lights on it and whatever that's what you did back then like you know multicolor shock boots on your mirrors like californicated nonsense but anyway (laughs) that stuff was cool and you know when i was like five you know i always looked at those trucks going by but like there was no rock crawling rock crawling wasn't really a thing at that time and you know at least not on the east coast there might have been guys out west doing like stuff on the rubicon and the the early birth of like pirate board and stuff like that real early but there there just wasn't like any sort of actual rock crawling to be had well anyway i uh in typical you know i guess whatever you want to call it me fashion i got kicked out of high school i had to go to reform school i was i you know i got into it with everybody man i fought like cops teachers you know <laughs> it didn't whatever. typical was, skater kid makes sense angry, angry young man like whatever you want to call it um so yeah i uh i ended up getting kicked out of out of high school and uh i had to go to reform school and when i went to reform school it was like out further out in the country from where i grew up you know i grew up outside of philly um about 15 miles southwest of the city. So it was pretty suburban, urban. Um, but anyway, this this reform school was out in the country and it was like farm kids and stuff. And I went out there and there were these guys who had like mud trucks, lifted mud trucks and stuff. And they'd go out. And of course, you know, I hung out with these dudes and they took me out and I was like, okay, I can see where you're going with this. I can like extrapolate the connection here between like what, I was into with like skateboarding and BMX and jumping dirt bikes and all that kind of stuff. And what's going on here with you guys, but you're like sloshing through mud holes and you're trying to climb Hills. And it's like, there's gotta be a way to push this harder. You know what I mean? And that's, like I said, at that time there was nothing on the East coast going on with rock crawling. It just didn't exist. And, uh, so I'd open up like magazines and I'd see, uh, see some stuff. Like I remember I saw, uh, 
what's his name? Grady McLeod. I don't know if you know, I've ever heard of Grady, but uh, yeah, Grady's Get Vertical Off-Road back in the day out in California. He had this like hammered, you know, black with like cute green scallops, neon green scallops on the hood CJs uh, with boggers on it, of course, boggers on all the things back in those days. But, like um, classic mm-hmm. 90s aesthetic. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like big, ugly, like, you know, three-inch tube roll bar and stuff. Like, there were a bunch of these rigs. And those guys, you know, like, you open up a picture and you see these guys driving on rocks. And it's like, wait, like, you can do that? Like, guys, <laughs> do this? This is a thing? Like, this is where I need to be at. Like, we need to be driving on Like, that's cool. Like, so, of course, I started convincing these guys. You know, I got my own truck, and I'm like, yo, let's go do this. And they're like, you're crazy. Like, you're just tearing stuff up. Because, you know, you don't know when you're, like, new to this. You're like, you don't realize you need, like, skid plates, and your drive shafts have to be made out of quarter wall tubing and stuff. Like, you know, you're out there <laughs> destroying stuff, you know? And you're like, well, why, you know? why can't I just hammer this into rocks and it just works? And uh, I guess it kind of worked from there, man, grew. And yeah, that's uh, from there, like the light bulb went on and I was like, all right, this is cool, but we need to turn this into an actual extreme sport. And that's when like E-Rock and uh, the first inklings of like, you rock with Ranch Pratt and Mark Peggy. They were like coming together and forming you rock and you know, pirate board was starting to be a thing and guys were talking about rock crawling. And uh yeah, I was like, man, this is where this is where we need to be at. We need to like turn this into a legit extreme sport. So that's how I come at this, right? Which is a lot different than I think a lot of people come at it, at least from the people I've talked to. They're uh, you know, they were kind of like the kids who played baseball and where I was like, Hey, you should sign up for the baseball team. No, I'm good on that bro. Like I'll be, uh, catch me on the roof of the high school gapping over this like kink trail onto the like tranny on the other side, you know, <laughs> like it's just not the same stuff. So anyway, yeah, that's kind of how I look at all of this. And that's why X rock is what it is and why I do things the way I do things. And that's kind of how I got into it, I guess. I can I can definitely completely understand what you're saying because back when I used to skateboard and BMX and all that, you'd be just be driving around and like you'd look to your side and be like, oh shit, you could definitely skate that or you could do X Y Z. Like every time that you're looking around at what people would just be like, oh, that's just a bench sitting next to like a planter box that's made out of concrete. But to us, it's like, oh shit, you could do like a sick kickflip onto that to like tail slide across it, whatever. So I kind of have that same idea when I'm out wheeling. Like yeah, everybody goes for the like the main or quote unquote easy line to get to the trail. But then there's usually me like off to the side, halfway flipped over being a dumbass because I wanted to try something cool just because I thought it was possible. Rock and- yeah. It's the ultimate old guy, like extreme sport that like you were saying, allows you to go to work on Monday, right? Like, it's not like you can't get seriously hurt doing extreme rock crawling. It does happen. People have, you know, gotten hurt and killed and whatever, but compared to like you know jumping off a hundred foot cliff doing double gainers into some old abandoned quarry or you know anything like that it's it's 
eons away from that in like danger level you know what i mean you're surrounded by tubes you're strapped in as long as nothing comes in at you and crushes you as long as the cage work holds up and doesn't collapse you know as long as your belts work and all that like you're probably going to be all right you're going to you know flip the thing back over on its tires and off you go and uh that appealed to me like you could treat Mm -hmm. like treat rock crawling like x games bmx or motorcycle jumping or whatever you know what i mean and that's it's the same thing it's just a way to do it without having to pay the price because if you're doing a backflip on a dirt bike over a big set of doubles 30 feet in the air and you mess up like you're paying for that you're not going to work on monday you know what i mean if you if you eat it whereas if you do some gnarly line in a rock crawler and you flop over and you know you may like your shoulders may hurt from your harness or whatever but like you're probably good. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where yeah. that came from me. I think the worst I ever did in a rock crawler was I had bad harnesses and rolled it. And I actually, like, ended up messing my spine up a little bit. But it wasn't long term. Sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, you absolutely can injure yourself. I mean, I'm not trying to make light of the fact that oh, no, what I'm- we do is dangerous. But, like, it's not, I don't know, it's just... It's relative, I guess, is the right word. Oh, it's absolutely. Less so than, than oh. a lot of other things. So, I mean, yeah, shit, I was... you could be going downhill on a skateboard, hit a stop rock, and then die from smashing your face into the ground. But, like, at least at least with wheeling, you know, like, you just hit a rock while you're driving. You're probably not going to get that messed up. <laughs> no, you're not. I, um, I got out of skiing because I was going in... Um, I ended up wiping out and I cracked a helmet front to rear and I was like, okay, well that, that was enough for me. Um, and I kept going with skiing for another couple of years, but like after that, it was never the same. Right. Whereas rock crawling, it's like, yeah, I rolled the Jeep a while ago and here we go. I'm continuing on and yep. still love it. Yeah. And it, it, so what's interesting, you know, I guess building off of that piece of the conversation is the people are different, I think. Like, what is weird to me that always never quite, like, meshed is that guys call rock crawling an extreme sport. You know what I mean? Like, we rock is world extreme rock crawling and off-road champion. That's the, like, acronym for that. You know, and it's like, to call something like that an extreme sport is kind of a misnomer, you know, when you look at the guys. Like, the guys who actually do extreme type of stuff when you grow up with those guys, it's like the mentality is so different from the group of guys that we have in the sport now. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some guys who are extreme sports type of like athlete type of people that do rock crawling and rock sports and whatever you want to call it. But a lot of them, like, you know, like you were saying about looking at that ledge and being Mm -hmm. like, yeah, so I can totally kick flip to Smith on that or feeble or whatever. And it's like, okay, when we were, digging trails and doing whatever it's like the type of people that you had to i don't know you had to be motivated and really want to do this stuff like none of it was legal you you were going somewhere into the woods on somebody else's property and you know finding a spot to dig holes and you know you'd have (laughs) 40 guys working together on this trying to keep it secret so nobody found out where you were at or any of that sort of thing and you know everybody would pick up a shovel and start working and you know there were guys that like took charge and said this is what we're going to do here but like everybody worked together you had a lot of motivated people that got a lot of stuff done see that brings back 
That brings back crazy memories back in the day. We used to have this spot called the Tinkum Track. And uh, literally, we just got like eight to ten of us out there and just started digging. At one point, we had like a nice little double that we made like a fire pit in the center. And yeah, of course, we were dumb and jumped over the fire like morons. But like, hey, it was late in the fall season. It was cold out and we wanted to stay warm and make some cool photos. Uh, and like, So that just brought back a lot of nostalgia back in the day. But yeah, I mean, it's like those kind of people, right? Like those guys, I don't know how to describe people like that, but like I've been involved in all these different extreme sports. That's your typical, like what I'll call extreme sports athlete, you know, like somebody like Travis Pastrana or whatever, like those guys have a mentality about them that it's like they're dedicated to what they do. They're serious about it. And like, I don't know, they're just no nonsense type of people. Yeah. Sorry, God. Sorry. No, go ahead, man. If you I was going to say a great example would be like Scotty Kramer. Um, he was kind of a, not a super old school BMX rider, but about 10 yeah. years ago, it was like his pro like shine. Yeah, um, yeah. He got he got into a really bad accident, ended up getting paralyzed. And ever since, the guy has just been nonstop riding his bike. And now he's actually trying to compete in like racing BMX and like the uh, Paralympics now, which is mm-hmm. just like it's mind blowing where some people just be like, all right, this is, you know, this is my end. I'm not doing this anymore. But these extreme sports guys are fucking whacked out and they're like, I want to keep doing this shit regardless if I can't feel my toes. <laughs> it's something you define yourself by, right? Yeah. And that's what everybody, it's like, you know, you're not like Trevor. He's like, damn, Hans, you're so intense with everything. Like, why are you like that? It's like, it's just how you are. Like, you're not trying to be that way. It's just how all those guys are. And so, like, the craziest thing, the strangest, and I'll say the most frustrating thing coming into our sport from that. Because I'm like, oh, cool, extreme sports. It's going to be extreme sports guys. Well, 90% of the guys that are in our sport are not extreme sport guys. Like, they're just not. Like, they're, 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 I don't know, they're different. I don't know how to explain it unless it's like you come from that culture of extreme sports guys. But it's like they're wrapped up in politics. Like, all that stuff, like I was saying. I mean, if you're a guy who's going out and saying, well, what are you doing this weekend? All right, well, we're going to sneak into this quarry. And we've, like, been scoping it out. And we're going to film some dudes, like, doing some big gnarly gainers off the top of this thing 120 feet out whatever okay like anybody who's doing that is not like coming home and being like yo did you see like they can't find fingerprints on like the bag of coke in the white house like you know i mean it's just something that like they're not those kind of guys whereas like i swear with rock crawling it's like everything is political like you can't get anything done without like just insane amounts of politics internal nonsense that's like entrenched stuff that goes way back and uh you know like i'll get guys that call me and they'll be like hey so and so posted this did you see this like yo that's messed up somebody should say something about it and i'm like okay why don't you go say something about it and they're like well i can't do that but you know like what are you worried somebody's gonna be upset with you like are you like you might hurt somebody's feelings. Like, I don't know. Like you just called me and told me that you're, you think this is jacked up. Well, yeah, well then if I do that, so-and-so is going to, well, I don't know what to tell you. Like that's the difference. Extreme sports guys, like they don't operate like that. They wouldn't call me. They'd like, you know, come right at the dude that they're like having beef with, you know, it's just different, different type of people that makes things tough with our sport. So I think the direction we need to go, honestly, is to try to involve more of those extreme type of people that are actually extreme like that. The new blood we need to bring, like, because if you are a 12-year-old kid, right, 
and you are blasting backflips on your ADCC two-stroke dirt bike over some big double 30 feet in the air, if you put that kid in a rock crawler for a week, you know he's going to figure out how to operate that thing at some level of competency, and he'll be able to go out and do what he needs to do. I mean, he may not be the world's best rock crawler after a week, but extreme athletes are extreme athletes. I think that's yep. the direction we need to go, and that's what's lacking. You know what I mean? We're pushing so hard, and it's like, not saying that some of our guys aren't legit, you know, like that, but it's like, as a whole, most of these guys that do this are just not... I, mean, I, I don't want to use the word soft, but they're not like extreme, true extreme sports athletes. Let's say that. Well, I think there's also a bit of an age component to it too, right? Like, let's be, I'm not going to try and be a dick about it, but a lot of people in this sport are like older, you sure. know, you run I'm into them. Yeah. I'm going on 45, you know? Yeah. It's it. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I've mellowed out a bit. I used to be a, much bigger asshole four years ago, five years ago. Richie can attest to that. Cody can attest yep. to that. Um, you now stopped I'm, being an asshole? I'm a lot more laid back than I was. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. You know, I'm not as in your face about it, but I think that it, due to some of the demographics of the sport, you struggle with it because you have uh, gearheads and also people that just kind of picked it up as like, it's one of the most complicated sports to pick up, but also one of the easiest, right? Because it can start with like just buying a, you know, 2008 JK, and then all of a sudden here you are, ten years later with a buggy on stickies that you know like the back of your hand. So I think that's where some of the extreme sport with the or like that mentality just doesn't get translated over. It's as well. a lifestyle thing for a lot of people that come into it from like a, I don't know, I'll call it like a country rural type of thing. You know, like guys got into this as like, you know, they're corn fed type of country guys that want to do this because that's what you do. You listen to country music and you go mud bogging in your truck and, you know, like it kind of evolves from that. They were not looking to be like, and that's why when you hear all these guys talk about our sport, like, especially if we're going to, as I said, I really think, and this is no disrespect to We Rock or anything like that. I feel like at this point, you can't really talk about what they're doing and what we're doing and act like it's the same thing because it's kind of not. But, like, especially when you hear those guys talk, like all the We Rock competitors, they're always talking about, oh man, it's like, you know, it's so great family and we go there and, like, you know, we take our kids and everybody barbecues and we're friends with these people and it's so great. And, you know, it's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's important. I'm not saying that it's not, but, like, that's the angle that they're coming at this from. It's, um, it's camaraderie and recreation for them as opposed to extreme pro caliber upper echelon extreme sports competition, which is where I'm coming from. And that's, that's the disconnect and the constant struggle I have with, with, you know, so much of this, I think. That's understandable. And kind of to go back on what you were saying, Luke, the age thing, I feel like it, like, 
I'm one of the weird ones in this con like in that topic for the ex like the example of with BMX or dirt bikes or skateboarding, snowboarding, XYZ, like you can pretty much replace everything on those objects with hand tools without any stress. Sure. Or like with like Jeeps, it's like you almost have to have that outside push, whether it being like uncles, dad, whatever, to help you with that. But then to also bring it back to with what no, you, you were don't. saying, you don't need it. Yeah, you, you just no, yeah, you're right. You can it. just you know a little gum. You can make a cage. Yeah, absolutely, buddy. Well, um, there's a mechanical aspect to it that's like beyond basic, simple. Like there's a chain and a sprocket, and this has to turn this. I get it. There's like yeah. you have to understand how motors and transmissions and you know that sort of thing. You have to have some basic working knowledge of that type of stuff that you wouldn't need for many other things. But dirt yeah. bikes and whatnot, you need that. You know, if it's, it's any any motorized sport, you need that. But also, what I was trying to like come up with the idea of when you mentioned the kid with the eighty-five cc dirt bike doing a backflip. Um, do we even think that rock crawling would be there, like what they would gear towards? You know what I mean? Because if we're thinking about the younger generation and what they're coming up with, and I, I don't know, we could get super boomer and be like, all these iPad kids, man, uh, <laughs> if we really want to. But yeah. like, you nailed it, but that's it. That's it. That's like, so you look at every other sport, we have to evolve as a sport. And that's the part of this that like you get extreme pushback whenever you want to try and make changes or and that's part of the politics of what i'm talking about internally but like you look at monster trucks for instance right okay they're like rock crawlers i mean it's a mechanical thing with a motor and four-wheel drive and whatever a roll cage surrounding it it's basically a bigger version of the same thing more powerful whatever but like those guys are airing those things out like 50 feet in the air they're doing like backflips and landing in a wheelie and then like you know doing another backflip in succession after landing from the backflip like there's no reason that you couldn't be doing stuff that's considerably more extreme than what we're doing um going back like when i originally came up with the plan for x-rock you know what i mean this is 20 some years ago i've had this sitting on it and i've been waiting for a time to roll it out um there's a lot of things I talked about. Spec classes, man, I made a bunch of enemies with that. Everybody like everybody hates the idea of spec classes, like having all the chassis be the same and like the links and whatever, which make a ton of sense because if you're tearing up cars and doing extreme stuff, now you can get it from any one of 10 different places. You can stock a link. You just say, yeah, I need an upper, you know, front upper passenger side link for an X-Rock car, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, not only that, it drives, you know, costs down. Everybody can resell their vehicles. Um, there's a million and one good reasons why you would do something like that. Um, you know, it allows so much. It allows us to showcase what drivers can and can't do. It allows us to showcase what manufacturers are better than others. If you want to say, hey, my tire works better than somebody else's tire, there's no better way to do that than having it on the exact same car as somebody else who has a different company's tire on there. And that, of course, forces manufacturers to evolve and make better products, and that's how you push stuff forward. Um, there's a lot of people who don't want that to happen. There's a lot of people, like I said, if you get into the internal side of our sport, there's a lot of longstanding, you know, historical entrenchment, whatever you want to call it. And... Um, that is the hardest thing to push past. But yeah. So I'm not throwing shade here. I'm picking random 
companies because they are big. Um, well, not random, but yeah, it would really suck if there was a set class and you had crawlers, traps, and swampers all running against each other on the exact same spec car that weighed in at basically the same minus the difference in tires, and then all of a sudden the traps are losing or the crawlers are losing because now that company looks like shit where they can't go and charge $1,500 a tire, which is just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to different parts of this. And, like, man, you know, we don't have to. I'm sure most of the people that are listening to this or whatever, they're not on that, like, inside part of the industry conversations that take place. And they probably don't care about most of this. But, like, yeah, there's a lot of different angles and a lot of reasons why different people i mean like fabricators right like so let's say you have a chassis right that works we're gonna we'll say better than everybody else's we'll just use that term right now you have something that you are marketing and it's yours and you can be the pablo picasso of you know this is my creation and i have it and it stomps ass on everybody else's stuff right well why would that guy want to come together and work with four or five other guys and create a product that's standardized so you know he's no longer at an advantage he's basically removing his advantage you know what i mean now yeah better for the sport and you could keep two classes you could have a like an unlimited like exponential whatever experimental class that you however you want to word that um but a spec class absolutely makes sense uh, you know we're 15 years away from something like that happening realistically i've almost gave up on it but it's like the last thing in my piece of this that i've originally wanted to make work going back 20 plus years um arguing with people about this and if it never happens it never happens but i do firmly believe and i'll go you know to my deathbed thinking that like the sport would benefit from that it would absolutely allow us to uh, we could create courses that you know showcase exactly what these vehicles can and can't do and and you know like i said which drivers if driver a makes it up that line and driver b is not in the same car and that's not to say like shock tuning and you know link geometry like settings and things like that don't i mean there are things that like would be tunable that would allow to change some of this but realistically you're about as close to apples to apples as you can get you know what i mean and that would uh that would do a lot for the sport because we could gear things exactly towards that and create a product that everybody can follow and everybody can watch and uh, you could do some really cool stuff and you could do all kinds of stuff with it. you could set it to pyrotechnics not that i'm like a gimmick guy by any stretch of the imagination but you could have like heavy metal music playing and laser light shows and stuff and do it in an arena. And people would think that's cool. I mean, when I say people, I mean the average guy. Population. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you could market that. It's something you could market more large scale. And when you're trying to make money and you're trying to talk to sponsors and you're trying to grow things, these are those type of inside conversations that, you know, get brought up. And uh, that's the stuff people don't realize. So much of our people going back to like, the mindset, the the true extreme type of athletes, you know, real extreme type of people, they're not at each other's throats. I mean, they may have problems and guys will like fist fight each other or whatever, but they're not like 
politically trying to stab each other in the back and have like ulterior motives and doing it's like there's none of that nonsense side of things which we have in our sport unfortunately there's so much like underhanded backhanded stuff that uh that works again it's just it's a it's a hell of a challenge and it's something that i'm not used to like i said coming from the like true extreme sports x games type of arena of things nobody else behaves like this this is this is unique it's a unique challenge to what we have and i think we need to try and do some house cleaning internally one of the biggest things we need is a driver's association but you know unfortunately everybody says yeah it's a great idea it's a great idea i tried to do something like this years ago when i was on the opposite end of this when i was competing myself when i had my fab shop and was building crawlers and doing all that and running them in you rock and we rock and whatnot um and everybody was like, oh, I'm just trying to destroy the sport. He's trying, you know, like they labeled me as this like communist, you know, like they're like, you're, you know, you're trying to turn this into a union thing and this, that, and the other. It's like, buddy, I'm just <laughs> trying to organize things. Like I'm, and so of course, all these guys are like, when you're on the other side of things, you know, you'll understand that that's a threat. You're trying to overthrow our ability to make decisions and you know bullshit like i don't want to hear it i'm because here i am on the other side of things and i'm still tooting that same horn i want a driver's association i want you guys because like guys will argue about dumb stuff like window nets you know oh we should have window nets. we should make them mandatory then like a year later everybody's like well i'm not showing up if you make me put a window net in all right so and then they start sending me links well such and such class doesn't make you run window nets and they change this and it's like all right guys get organized like why don't you put something together and we'll get an, an official like position on this you guys talk within yourselves you know amongst yourselves and tell me what you want to see out of this we'll review the data and we'll have a ruling and it's like okay this is sanctioning body inner you know interfacing with the driver's association symbiotically trying to work together to create a better sport well of course nobody wants to do that because that's work like yeah, it's too much effort <laughs> you guys know right like i mean you're doing work like people make light of it but like doing these podcasts this requires organization it requires getting people together doing work getting all this stuff edited doing you know what you guys do well that's so, what i'm saying about that motivational difference between true extreme sports guys that want to be out digging holes in the woods when it's pouring rain and you know not getting paid and not doing anything versus the drivers we have now going ah hans will take care of that like whatever if it's not exactly how i want it i'm not showing up they don't see the uh the like you know quantum leap of benefits that we've made and changes in the sport and now we're paying out 10 grand for this event and whatever and it's always like yeah whatever like if i if it's not exactly how i want it like you know i'll take it or leave it and, oh uh, and on that note when you brought up some of the podcast stuff uh just for some quick background stuff before what i say here um it's about seven and a half hours worth of work goes into putting out two hours worth of content including the recording I believe it. Well, and there's four of you guys that have to work it's together. It's longer than that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's more than that. Exactly. Yep. Like the, I mean, just to put in perspective alone for the, um, oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking on his name. The Flex Rocks and Rollovers. Like that episode, I was working on recording for eight hours straight. And then you take into factor the three hours of recording, and then you got to factor in Graham's efforts of making the pictures. It's way more than seven hours. 
Yeah, Sorry. and then <laughs> uh, the seven hours was a very basic spitball average for a simple to edit episode that goes for like two hours. That was okay. what I was kind of guessing with. Okay, like, I can we respect do that, all right? that internally ourselves for like our artwork and whatnot. We have an artist that does all our flyers and whatnot. People don't realize any of that. You know what I mean? Yep. I think that stuff just magically materializes out of thin air <laughs> or something. You know? So, yep. No, I get it, man. I, I 100% follow where you guys are coming from with that. And then you'll get people that'll be like, oh, well, you didn't discuss this or you did something a little bit different when they're talking to us about it and it's like of course we're going to do something a little bit different you know we can't talk about rock crawling every single episode and you know we we can we definitely can well we can't but you know what i mean though like we talked with eric about uh steering and we talked about tesla swapping stuff that was a fucking cool episode the episode we did with uh river city rally was fucking cool too um and those are totally separate spheres right because you know they're not exactly rock crawling dude rally is a gnarly sport i'm gonna tell you right now so like those guys are extreme sports athletes through and through like so you know my lineage i guess my history my mother's side of the family is from finland um you know over in scandinavia and you know how we have like baseball is america's national pastime sport whatever you want to call it theirs is rally racing right i'm sorry like finland has a 10 times cooler national sport than we yes anybody who likes likes baseball no offense but dude rally racing at 120 miles an hour through like the woods next to trees like come on dude like that's gnarly and um so like they'll train those kids from like five years old they'll put them they finland's the land of a thousand lakes right or ten thousand lakes i think it's whatever they have lakes everywhere so Mm. it's cold a portion of it's up above the arctic circle well in the winter those guys will go plow the middle of the lake out with a course and uh they'll take old volkswagens and knock all the glass out of them and take like young five-year-old kids and set them up so they can reach the pedals and teach them to just go out there and bash into each other and slide into snow drifts and figure out how to how to drive a car you know <laughs> the limits on that stuff that's what you do when you're five again that's like where i come from that's that extreme side of things that's missing like in so many of our athletes so yeah dude rally guys for sure hats off Nut jobs Dude, yeah, they're not playing. Yep, they are. They are not screwing around. Another cool episode was with Caleb from We Rock. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's what? It's probably six to seven guys now that have hit me up about the, um, about what's a beam and G with a rock crawling on the video game. Like, it is insane how, so we can, like, talk about other than rock crawling. Granted, it's still kind of rock crawling just on a video game. And then, like, few other guys are like, ooh, I'm interested. What's this about? Can you tell me about it? And it's, I don't know, it's pretty, pretty fucking cool to see. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about that sort of thing, but I've seen screenshots of it and guys talking about it. I guess Caleb makes, like, courses, like, renderings of, yep. like, actual yes. courses and stuff. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Like, I, yeah, it's interesting. Caleb sure. and this, his name's Tom. He does, is, I think it's Rough Country Crawling is the name of his server and all that. Um, those two guys together... They are just masterminds because Caleb does understand like suspension geometry, but Tom can do all like the building and like the different different points of contact with the suspect. Like it's just it is very very impressive what those two dudes can do together. It's really yeah. cool. 
That's cool. Yeah. It's a new generational thing, you know what I mean? Doing things via uh, simulation or whatever I is definitely not something we were... I mean, guys talked about stuff like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could have like a video game that was realistic? But like now it sounds like those guys are achieving that within pretty good. Yes. So. And the part I think that's cool is I think that that is one of the ways that the sport, if you will, is going to leave... Um, leave the rural areas and start spreading because mm. it, you know, you can run that game on a, what, $600 laptop. It's right. not going to run perfect, but, um, and then you can get into that because it's cool. And you saw a YouTube clip and then all of a sudden, like, you know, you're 16 and you're starting to look at vehicles and stuff. And it's not as, as far of a stretch as it used to be. As a training tool, it makes a ton of sense. I don't think it'll ever completely, you know, replace real rock sports. But you look at like NASCAR, you know what I mean? Those guys are doing simulator racing and things like that. You can, there's no risk, you know what I mean? There's cost certainly associated with it, but you're not worrying about people hitting a wall at 200 and some miles an hour and getting killed. So um, from, from that standpoint, may not be super interesting to spectate. But it is absolutely, um, you know, from an insurance standpoint, which is a huge factor. That's another piece of this we don't have to really get into because nobody probably cares. But trust me when I say that side of it is, you know, so many people don't realize how much they are holding on by a threat. I just had this conversation with uh, Liam O'Donnell uh, of USAC. I don't know, you know, you guys know Liam. But, um, yeah, he's... the actuarial side of insurance, man, for what we do, it's like, oh, you know, there's an entire government entity dedicated to keeping people out of abandoned mining you know, operations, this whole stay out, stay alive. And what we're doing is like, yeah, let's bring the general public in here and have a sport. <laughs> like, you look at the insurance form and it's like, okay, the short form is like 13 pages long, typically. You know what I mean? And it's like it gives you this list of all this garbage where it's like, you know, are there any, like, cliffs that people could fall out? Oh, yeah, we got those, dude, everywhere. Like, is there any water-filled pits that deep water where drowning could occur? <laughs> yep, got those, too. Like, literally every single thing you could check on this form for insurance problems, it's like, we got that times 10, bro. So, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's uh, – so the simulation side of things uh, does have its place, absolutely, especially for, like, I've getting into it. Yeah, my big thing about it is it's never, it's not the same. It's never going to be the same because you're never going to have the full feeling. I agree. agree. But it's excellent for getting people interested. They use it for commercial. That's a conversation I should have with Ricky Barrett. You guys know him, I assume. Uh, We just talked to him last week. Yeah, I'll have to ask him if he's ever done any of that simulation stuff because I know they do that for pilot training and whatnot. So. Funny thing, we talked with him for like two and a half hours. Not a single mention of flying. I don't know how that happened. Well, I mean, it's not rock crawling, and you know, yeah, I'm just all over the place. Don't mind me. You guys can try and bring this back on track. That's okay. I'm rambling. Um, so like, I suppose, what exactly is X Rock? Because we've talked about it's an extreme sport, but like. What is it? So X-Rock is my idea going back 20-some years to try and create 
I think what the sport needs moving in the direction, as I said, you know, little rich Klein has done some of this with his trailbreaker format, which, you know, I messaged him as soon as he put that together. And I said, man, this is what the sport needs. This is the direction that, you know, I've wanted to go for years. And, uh, you know, that's where I think we need to go. It's, it's a simplified, you know, I don't want to say dumbed down, but like for the sake of regular viewing public understanding, like if you look at classic rock crawling rules, all of this stuff is like, well, this guy backed up one time more than this guy, but this guy hit a cone and, you know, it's like nobody can figure out who's winning. Nobody can figure out like why anything is happening. Now, why did this guy drive through this one and not this one? And, you know, it's like, it's just a lot. And not only that, the way they set their gates, it's it makes you it, it creates a situation where it behooves you to take like five minutes to try to sneak through a gate missing it by a half inch without taking a backup, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to watch this. I, I mean I hate to say it, but like I love our sport. I'm a guy who is like fanatical about every part of what we do with rock sports and off-roading. I don't want to watch. I can't watch that. Like I, I watched like a piece of footage from the uh, from the Kazars event at Dayton, and I was like, "Man, this is like it's it's hard. It's it's hard to to spectate." And uh, so X Rock aims to solve a lot of these problems. Plus, we have massive judging problems in our sport as a whole. So one of the big things that I do differently, we have our own core group of people. And these are great people, man. These are guys that get behind what we're doing. They understand the concept of what we're doing. They come out to all our events. That guy is going to be the one who's judging you. He's going to be the one holding and signing your scorecard. He's going to be the one doing the recovery when your vehicle's upside down, working with you to figure out how to get it out of there without tearing it up. It's those same people. At every, every person interacts with those same people, and you get to know them and this, that, and the other thing. If you look at We Rock, it's always different judges. They show guys like a 10-minute video and they say, all right, you're good to go. You now know like you're equipped to judge. Well, I'll stand there and watch guys on course and it's like, well, that's a backup. That's another backup. All right, they missed four backups and didn't say anything on that course. They run like four courses a day for two days. That's a, you know, now you got 32 points of spread in difference from your four backups that were missed. Some guy you know, got second place who should have got seventh place because of that 30 point spread. You know what I mean? And that's, I can't, if we're handing out 10,000 bucks, which is another piece of this that I think we need to be doing, we need to have proper payouts to have the sport be taken seriously. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that $10,000 is life changing for any of these guys that have these vehicles. If you're building these things and you're hauling them across the country and paying for fuel and all that stuff, you don't need $10,000. I mean, not that anybody minds getting $10,000, but it's not about the money. But what $10,000 does is cause the average Joe watching to look at this and go, wow, this is a legitimate conversation. Like, this is guys running for money. They're actually doing something. Things like that. So all of these things are things that I set out to do with x -Rock. I wanted to create a better version of what we've been doing and it was like i'm not ragging on our sport as a whole like i competed going back in the day to like the late 90s early 2000s when it first started and stuff was cool there were you know 
there were guys setting quality terrain and there was cool stuff being done. It was on ESPN two and, uh, you know, it was going somewhere and there's a bunch of reasons. Again, that's more internal hoopla as to why that fell apart. But, um, you know, we went through this real dark age where like it kind of became a joke. Like you guys got XJs, right? You all run out and I'm sure you wheel like what you guys consider to be pretty hard stuff when you're so inclined to do so. You take your XJs out and hammer on them and whatever. Mm-hmm. You guys should not like I get calls all the time where guys call me and say, Hans, I watched this, that, and the other thing from a competition. Those gates are easier than the stuff we ran last weekend with my buddy's Cherokee, like out in the mountain. Like that should not be like that. The upper echelon pinnacle of our sport should be guys putting vehicles through hard terrain. Should be the best guys with the most skill, with the best equipment, competing for money, doing whatever. Now we have an amateur class. It's SLRC, which started life as street legal rock crawling. Although I keep saying. Eric, the guy who owns that, he uh, works with me on stuff. Um, I keep saying he should change it to sport league rock crawling or summer league rock crawling because now he's got an open class where guys don't need street legal vehicles anymore, but in addition to the street legal class. but Were there the guys it, that ran at Roush um, and hosted some of those competitions? That is Ron Lind and Ron Lobb who they, you know, most people know colloquially as the Rons in the sport. They are uh, guys who have been doing this for a long time going back. They work with uh, Bruce Chalice, the owner of Roush Creek, to put those competitions on. They do a great job with that. That's uh, their classic form rock crawling, too. But, um, yeah, that their amateur competitions, you know, bring a lot of people. They get, like, 40-some cars, usually, that come out for those things. And, yeah, that's... Uh, it's it's RC rocks is I guess what they're still calling it, but it's not exactly the same as when RC rocks was a thing years ago. But I think it's still RC rocks. I think that's what they call that. So okay, but yeah. So I mean, like, look at my goal for X Rock is to create that serious pro caliber event that's what we need we need you know and of course there's all these people that are worried about getting left behind they say well you know then i can't run that it's like well i hate to say it but like not everybody can play professional baseball not everybody is in the nba you know what i mean that's why they have farm leagues and stuff like that it's like there's not like a better or a worse but if you want to grow the sport and you want to represent it as such like we have to get to a point if you want industry involvement where and you know where you have a product that is taken seriously and marketed as such and that is what x rock is that's what i'm trying to do it's not you know it's not about fun it's not i mean like i said all that happens you know just organically organically exactly it's part of it you know you still have that you still have those times you say you remember that time when we were in kansas city and such and such happened and you know you're always going to have that it's guys are going to do what they're going to do but that's not the focus it's not leaning load up your wife and kid and we're all gonna sing kumbaya and you know it's it's not what we do like we're i'm trying to do hardcore serious rock crawling where we're putting cars through 
the hardest stuff and pushing the sport. And we need those guys that, that want to do that, that want to evolve the sport, that want to stuff that you couldn't run last year. Now we're going to run it. We're going to change car engineering and we're going to build better cars and we're going to change driving styles and we're going to do this, that, and the other thing, you know, and guys are building these electric cars now. I've been saying for years, I want to see motor on axle electric cars. I know there's a couple yeah. in the world. Yeah. So, yes, that's so cool. I'm in. Sign me up. I'm not I'm not an RC crawler guy. I mean, I have no problems with what those guys do. I'm just saying I don't specifically know much about it. I know a couple guys who do it. And it's like you look at what those things can do. If you look at the motor on axle like cars, not like the scaler stuff, but the like true hardcore extreme comp guys that are running motor on axle cars, those things can do things that are just flat out amazing. So, you know, you could never dream of doing for multiple reasons, like the power to weight ratio is just unattainable and whatnot in a, in a full size car when you one to one. I have seen Graham with his RC Jeep. I will never, ever support Graham building a one to one electric vehicle. <laughs> ever. That dude is fucking dangerous. Like, I hope you hit your ankles because he's coming for them. Like, he's got he's- got power, man. Yeah, power. You do so much for that. Like, so motor on axle, you can have infinite split, like instantaneous torque split for front dig or rear. You know, you can under and overdrive. So, like, if you want your front to go 12% faster than your rear or whatever. Like there's dude, there's so much you can do with that. You have, yeah. up, I mean, at some point the suspension stops working and you know, whatever, but you have no limitations of drive shaft angles. You have nothing like that to worry about. You can basically just have things anywhere you want them. Um, that's absolutely the direction that I think we need to go. Things like that. And those are the conversations I have behind the scenes with people where we're pushing things and whatever, but there's a lot of cool Man. stuff in the works, but again, if you're going to have guys that are willing to do that sort of stuff, you have to have a sport to support that, that people are going to take seriously. So you're not just doing this to say you did it. Like there has to be a reason to do this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I agree. And not to mention with the whole EPA bullshit that was going on for a while. I don't know how much it's calmed down now with, well, not being able to modify off-road vehicles or modify VIN tagged vehicles for off-road use, uh, electric vehicles might be the the wave of the future. Which I mean, they you know Elon can say whatever the fuck he wants. I don't see it in the next twenty-five years even being possibly feasible. But it's not a bad idea that if this is the sport we enjoy, thinking about the future with it. I think battery-powered vehicles, I'm just going to give you my take on this. This is not right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just where I'm coming from with it. I think the concept of trying to run battery-powered vehicles as daily drivers on the street for stuff like that is absolutely ludicrous. I don't understand how people are wanting to do something like that. Like, there are other options. Like, you know, hydrogen fuel cell, something like that kind of makes sense. You know, there's barriers and problems to everything. Explosions. yeah, well, but the I mean, Lindenberg like, or Hindenburg lithium batteries are that's some nasty stuff, and you mining at yeah, anyway, there's a lot of it makes yeah. sense for what we do for competition rock crawling. Going to electric vehicles for that absolutely makes sense. Um, going to electric vehicles to have a tractor trailer drive your Amazon order to your door, like, no, I don't, I don't see me personally, I just don't see that. Well, that's what the drones are for, they will yeah, drop the packages off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
I don't know, there's a lot of things like when you look at that side of development of things, you brought up the whole, ah, eh, you know, this bullshit about guys saying you can't modify cars. I agree that, like, I mean, there's always going to be guys that are going to do stuff on the sly. You're not allowed to delete your diesel pickup truck, but guess what? There's a bunch mm -hmm. of them out there that are deleted. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to do heroin, but people figure out how to do that, too, right? <laughs> um, no, 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 you can do heroin. You just, you can't sell it. Yeah, That's right. it. <laughs> Yes. Um, I mean, to speak on that really quick, a friend of mine was trying to buy shocks yesterday for her JK, and she got the weirdest error when she went to buy it. It was, she was, shoot, what's the name of the company here? Dang it. Um, I think it's, is it Four Wheel Parts? It's a very common, uh, like, Wrangler website, and they literally said in the, um, the receipt, it says... We do not sell lift kits over two inches to Massachusetts, and it literally removed both of the shocks, even though they were for stock height. <laughs> they removed it from her order and would not sell it to her. That's ridiculous. Yeah, Wait, no, what? I mean, that's a thing what? now. Yeah, I have to look up the website that's that I was looking at. Over intrusive. I mean, is there like a like a radio button you could check to say that like you're not using this for an on road application or so? I don't know. That seems crazy to me. But I yeah, know, wild. you know what I mean. Um, uh, uh, to play devil's advocate, I'm probably the guy who would say that our sport would actually benefit from any kind of crackdown on guys being able to do stuff to their vehicles because what it would do is it would open up a market for guys to sell mass production off-road only vehicles. Like they kind of tried this with the Roxer with Mahindra, you know what I mean? And it's not really the right yeah vehicle for that or whatever you know what i mean but like so you look at side by sides um mm -hmm. side -by sides are like made out of bubble gum and paper mache i don't know how literally <laughs> but like Take roll cages too yeah. while we're at it <laughs> but uh no i mean you look at that right like if you had big companies and whatnot in a position where you could make and sell mass market rock crawling vehicles to, that are serious rock crawling vehicles you could do that and people would say hey yeah this is a, this is an option i can make this i can sell it i can buy it but that's not going to happen as far as expanding into the mainstream market if guys are allowed to continue to like easily tinker with their jeeps and stuff because that's where so many people come into it and then that's where they stop or they like everybody i know who started with the jeep they kind of looked at the tube chassis crawler stuff as existing, but like, that's something else. That's not what I do. That's not for me. Like those guys are cool and they're out there doing that, but I'm going to pretend that doesn't exist. Or I'm going to just say like, that's unattainable for me. That's not something that, you know, unless you grow up with like your uncle or your dad or somebody who's in this sport, most of the guys that I talk to, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you know, you guys may feel otherwise, and that's fine. But, like, most of the guys I talk to, when they start with Jeeps, they're like, yeah, that's so far removed from what I'm looking at that, like, I just am going to pretend that doesn't exist. Like, that's cool. That's it. And then, eventually, if they hang around what we're doing and come to comps and whatever, they're like, why did I ever build this thing? I should have just started with <laughs> You know what I mean? So, so many people that we know, like now the like the really far end guys are all saying that. Almost every single one, it's just like I should have just yeah. started with the crawler. Like, there's no point to this. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, and like I said, playing devil's advocate, and I'm not saying that I want to see this happen, but I honestly do think 
the only way something like that's going to take place is if you create the problem. So if they really do crack down and start saying, oh, you can't modify, there's still going to be people that are going to do it. There's still going to be people that will find loopholes. There's still going to be off-road, whatever. You're still going to be able to do it. But if you make it intrusively difficult to do that for the average guy, suddenly a market is going to pop up for guys that want to do this that's a plug-and-play, like, I'm just going to buy this, and that's that. And uh, that may not be the worst thing. That's all I'm saying. I think personally that that would be one of the worst things that could happen overall because like as much as we all talk about especially like you know in this Graham and myself you know the amount of work that goes into keeping our heavily modified jeeps on the road or on the trail um it was the stepping stone that got me in if it was not as readily accessible uh, I would not that's what I'm be. Saying. It would be readily accessible. That's what I'm saying. You're looking at it now like how it is now. But imagine if you could buy a rock crawler the way you could go buy a Can-Am X3. Or like I a dirt bike. You need the super low price point to get... No. Yeah. Not necessarily. So just to take in consideration, dirt bikes. Dirt bikes are like, they come out of the box ready to go onto a track. That is how they are sold. I mean, yes, the level of entry for once you get really into it is much higher than off-roading currently. But you have to take into consideration that these things degrade as fast as a rotten egg. So you will get not that old the vehicles that have been beat on for two years, but you can buy them at a used cost. And then that is your level of entry is just getting a used vehicle just like you do with the current Cherokee. Yeah. yeah. The, the price a is lot of, a lot of that too. Yeah. And, ahead, and there's financing, which is huge. When financing becomes a legitimate thing, that opens a lot of doors for a lot of people. There's not many people. I mean, there are, but you know what I mean? Not everyone can just walk out and drop $75,000 on something. Whereas True. if they finance it and get a loan for it and make payments on it, then it becomes far more, you know, attainable for people. So, yeah, but at the same time, though, like a lot of people that we've talked to have gotten into the sport because their first vehicle oh, was a sure. Jeep or something yeah. that they brought into the woods. And so, if you're getting it to the point where you have these production vehicles that you're now using for the sport, a lot of people won't be getting into it like they were because even. You know, the, you're you're not going to see a 15, 16 year old kid getting financing to purchase something, even if it's used. No, that can yeah, they do it for side by side every day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then, again, it's like I can just bring it right back to the same conversation I was having with the dirt bikes. It's just one of those things that, like, once it becomes a norm, then it is a norm to buy a used vehicle at the lower end price point to do what you want to do. You got it. There'd be used ones of those five years after. Exactly. Yep. It did yeah. take a little. It'd be a, a culture shock at, up front for sure. So let me ask you this: Do you guys still drive your stuff on the road? Is that where you guys are at with like license? Yeah. Mm. Yes. <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. So that would solve that problem. I agree with you right there, hundred percent. Like, if you are looking for true dual purpose, where it's like, this is how I get to school and work and whatever, get my groceries, and it's how I wheel. Like, yeah, you're not going to get that out of something like that, probably not. I mean, that's what a Jeep is at that point. You know what I mean? You buy a brand new Rubicon, whatever. That's kind of as close as you can get to that. So now I will say, like, my Jeep is 
it's on stickies. I don't drive it like to work and back and whatnot, but I do still like take it over to my buddy's house who's five miles down the road. I drive it to the local car shows or like we'll take it out to go and get dinner. But I like that factor. And like, even if I were to in the future consider a buggy chassis, it would get plated as a razor. So that is an interesting question that I actually would like to ask you guys, if you don't mind, because I like getting people's input on this. So when you see these like events where guys like I'm sure you've seen like years ago, Rick Poway used to do like, you know, the like ultimate adventure series where you had to drive stuff on the road and it was part of it. Yep. Is that something that you guys like that appeals to you that you think is oh, yeah. cool to have to do that? Like that adds to the whole mystique or like, you know, at some point do you just say, yeah, that's silly. Like I don't. I did that when I was 15. I don't care about keeping stuff running. Like, I want to trailer it and ride an AC and, you know, whatever. So I'm so, indifferent. Sorry, God, Luke. Sorry. Uh, yeah. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll, I was going to I was gonna say, Cody is definitely on team trailer. and No, let me fucking tell it myself it. then. You okay, fine. Goof. Say what I just said. I think that there's two different sides of it that could be really cool. Driving your shit on the road is little, is and doing things like that is really fun it's a lot of fun to get into a shit box make really horrific noises when you're pulling to the gas station and everybody's like look, look at this thing it looks like it got the, it's got total it's got total 10 times but to me you're like or to yourself you're like yeah this thing made it down the road five minutes and stuff like that is really fucking cool but then we have to take in consideration now you're just asking to get in trouble with the cops if it's not inspected different things like that you also add a shit ton of stress to yourself by driving it somewhere to go wheeling than to have to drive it back because everybody knows like you could thrash on something in the woods for eight hours and it may still be good to go wheeling but above 40 miles an hour that thing is sketchy as fuck that's the answer i hear most often just to not i want to hear everybody else's take on this too but what you just said that idea of guys are like look man at some point when i start doing hard enough stuff i don't want to drive you know, eight hours away to some off-road park and then feel like I can only run blue trails because I'm worried that I'm going to break something and I won't be able to make it home. Like, that's the argument for the trailer side of it. And then there's Graham, who's big dick swinging and doesn't give a fuck. Like, Graham, you can explain. We haven't even talked about Badlands, which was an off-roading event that we recently went to. And, like, you can can explain your side of it, Graham, because I think you have a very happy side of it. Oh, yeah. I mean... I love being able to drive it on the road. It's not legal at at all. There's nothing legal about it. I don't know how I haven't been pulled over in the thing. Uh, For all the members of the Massachusetts law enforcement, uh, no, just <laughs> we're friends with one. He's like, well, I'd pull you over for this or this, and you know, I'm I'm always probing him about uh, <laughs> what, what what can I what can I do and what can't I do and when can they grab me? <laughs> He'll always give me his input. But I haven't gotten, you know, knock on wood, I haven't had any any major crap with it. The thing drives really nice. It's slow as shit, because it's a crawler, not a race car. Um, but for me, it's always been, and how I got into it, and this is just me stuck in, in my ways, and longer trips. Like, when we go down to Tennessee, or West Virginia, or the Missouri trip we recently did, like, when we do that, yeah, it's going on a trailer. I'm not, I don't, I don't trust us to drive that far. But... Around where we are, all the parks are 
pretty small, and it's only like two-ish hours for the furthest right, one. Call a buddy and have him come out with a trailer or whatever. If you oh yeah, yeah. Or, or, you know, I've got AAA. I just trip like. <laughs> or you <laughs> gave me <laughs> your keys, you know, just in case. <laughs> I just put the keys in the ignition and uh, turn the the battery off, and you know, nobody can take it. And I unhook the neutral safety switch, so you can turn the key. It, first, first off, if it's sitting there, you probably don't want to drive it anyways. But. <laughs> And um, you run like hard trails in this thing. I'm getting oh, yeah. beat the crap out of the thing. Yeah. He's rolled yeah. it, and he almost got a perfect barrel roll last yeah. time we were at Good Evening Ranch. Good yeah, stuff. that was a trailer. was a trailer thing. But I mean, uh, for me, the the driving of driving the vehicle to the trail just to beat the shit out of it with almost no regard is is kind of fun. It's satisfying, right? And not every time does it go swimmingly, right? There's occasionally issues, and you. You're driving it down the road. But Rash like Creek with the fucking water in the AX-15. Yeah, I drove seven hours home with water in my transmission. That was all that was in it. There was no no fluid. Um, but like for me, that's like it's still part of the. It's it's not off roading, but it's still it's part the of off roading. Yeah, like that's like yeah. I I, uh, I absolutely was that guy when I was like. 15 16 i'll tell you i just i I love i love the the finding your way out of interesting problems like that because it's you know it just it's it's a good story it's how it's a good story it's how i've always thought of shit now i'm uh i'm against the mold of of what you basically talked about the first 20 30 minutes of the podcast i i'm a a computer engineering dropout who got into jeeps as a side thing and i'm an it guy like i'm not an extreme sports person but i i like found this mm-hmm. and this is what i like and i like solving problems and what better way to uh do that than have it be high intensity like, i describe serious better. rock crawling as a mix between chess and ballroom dancing and everybody always looks at me like i got three heads that makes sense what in the hell and it's like when you think about it you got to be thinking multiple moves ahead of what you're going to do. You know what I mean? And then if something gets like changes between point A and point B, that's the chess factor of it, right? And then ballroom dancing, you got to have that feel. Like if you have that, you know what I'm talking about, about that feeling of the balance of, yeah, it's right there. It's going to go. I need to turn into this rock. You can feel the tire bite a little bit. It's going to climb that. It's going. It wants it. You know what I mean? It's uh yeah, it's uh, it's something that appeals to that side of it, more intellectual people. So I get both sides of that, too, for sure. You know, yeah. and his rig is fairly well-behaved going down the road, too. Like, I've ridden in it and when he was down here. That thing, it's been very well-engineered for what it is, and it really hurts me to give him compliments like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a perfect rig by any means. But it's it's never it doesn't really deny me on on this like obviously I'm not doing full uh, X Rock tube chassis single seater trails in the thing. There's limitations, obviously. There's always going to be limitations on on this specific rig, uh, and I I don't mind it that way. There's still plenty of hard shit that I jam it through, and it makes it that much more uh, satisfying when you can put something that still has a it's resembling what it was originally. I mean, I've got so much tube in the thing at this point. It's it's almost uh, it's uh, it's crossing the line. It will be crossing the line very shortly of where it's just a skin and yeah. it's it's yeah. all fabricated underneath. 
Yeah, um, most people, when they get to that point, that's exactly like going full circle on this conversation. That's where guys are like, man, I'm frustrated. I should have just started from scratch. You know what I mean? We'll see if you get to that point or not. Not everybody does. Some people yeah. are like super content where they're at, but that's usually where guys have this epiphany and they're like, the hell am I doing? You know, but it, it also, like, you probably got there in a number of steps, you know what I mean? Which like, if yes. you jump straight into a tube rig, probably never would have got done. You would have been like dejected halfway into it and be like, eh, the project never got finished. Exactly. Whereas yeah. if you start with something like a Jeep like that, you can make baby steps of modifications and you go, oh, that's cool. I added this like locker and look how much better it works. You know, stuff like that is, uh, you're, that's lost on the whole full tube chassis way. Of yeah. And I think you, you gain, first you gain the, the knowledge of what he, what each part does right by by doing it incrementally and you don't have to sit yeah learning that is important i mean a lot of stuff with open diffs if you never figure that out then yeah you need to start with stuff like that for sure yeah yeah and the like i want to agree but when i when i take a step back and i look at it like dirt bikes which it kind of would end up being like like it's tough for me to say because like i started out in 85 when i was 11 like Yes, I had the parental push to do it, but if I was 16 and hopped on a 250, just like I would hop in a, an XJ, I feel like you would learn the same way, though, because you I don't have to this fully... back directly to the type of people conversation. So That's like, a good point, yeah. Games type of extreme sport athlete, you have that, like, seat-of-the-pants feel of stuff that you're going to figure out when you're like, I can feel the tire biting, or I can feel whatever. If you're not that guy, there's nothing wrong either way. Like, I think learning from ground zero is far more valuable for those people. You know what okay. I mean? Okay, I can respect yeah. that. That's a, that's a really good mindset. I, I like yeah. that. I mean, I'm coming at it from, a complete, from, the, from the opposite end of the spectrum, and I, I appreciate and I really like the hardcore shit, um, but what got me into it was the was was the the building of the thing was the Just engineering. So you know, I ran uh, the servers for a small technologies firm for two years too. Out of oh, nice. Okay, I, yeah. So same. Uh, I had a little bit of that sort of side of things going on too. So I get it. I totally get where you're coming. Yeah. I, I mean, I just I'm I'm a nut job for for Bit. learning how that shit works. <laughs> like I I. I I, I get off to that. Like I love learning about how everything works. Right. It makes the me engineering nervous. and physics side of things. Yeah, right? I, I, it makes me nervous when I've got a black box in front of me. So if you were to just plop me in a chassis that I bought at a store with lock and have like put me pull way back, right? You know how cars work, and they drive on the road, and it, they drive like a car. And then you were to put a chassis in front of me, built, ready to go, and say, "Go climb rocks." I'd be like, "What?" I mean. It, there'd be a disconnect, right? I wouldn't understand. Yeah, there's like, a huge disconnect, quantum leap there between those two points. Yeah. Yep, I get it. But for like, for I didn't obviously, I didn't start doing the rock crawling. wasn't what I started as. Nobody starts in in off roading. That's never where you start. Usually, sometimes uh, where I started, like I said, didn't exist. Yeah. Like yep. not at least not on the East Coast. And for like, you know, there were fifteen guys doing it out west casually. Yep. So. And what? What happened was you meet some guys who do it, and you're like, "Oh shit!" At least now, or now that it's a thing, right? I I started back in like 2015, so not super long ago, only probably eight years. Yeah, um, that's substantial in today's measures of things. A lot yeah, happened yeah. in the last eight years for sure. Yep. You know, sorry. Go ahead. I 
I've got some uh, stuff I want to add in. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, you, you meet these people who, who have something that's doing crazy things that you didn't even think were possible. So, obviously, you, you make that person your friend, those people your friends, because that's cool and you want to do that. And, and then you build your shit to do the same thing. And then it's, it's just a vicious cycle, at least in my experience. And uh, like I said, I've never been an, an extreme sports guy. I was never a skater guy. I didn't do BMX. I didn't do, I skied. I slammed into plenty of trees. Like, I, I guess that kind of counts. <laughs> yeah. But that was, that, was never, that was never my mindset. Yeah. But I came out from the other end, whereas, like, I didn't know anybody, like, in this sport. I just said, this is what I want to do, so I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I started fabricating and building stuff and engineering things. And I don't know. There's a side of me that enjoys that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, and I tend to be half decent at it, I guess. So, yeah, I didn't, like hang out with anybody and i just said oh okay this is a thing i'm gonna figure out how to do this and i started doing that and then i started running unlimited class and competing in professional rock growing competitions because why not those guys can do it i can do it right? yeah. Yeah. so you know yeah. like going back a little bit with what was or what we were talking about earlier right um i like just having my rig go down the road and everything because it's like a really nice calm um summit if you will to this pinnacle. rig pinnacle yeah it's the pinnacle nice to word. yeah this rig <laughs> um and this rig has been this rig should have been a tube chassis it did not fit my life at that point in time i had some of the skill set but not the full skill set to actually do it at the time that i started on my current two-door cherokee and then like now it served uh for a very long time on one tons and 40s as my backup daily driver um sometimes it was my daily driver for like three months when i bought my f-250 um and i had front end problems with it so being able to drive it on the street to me it's awesome and the best part about driving my rig down the road for me is that it rides better than my truck does. It's louder, it's obnoxious, but like it's so much fun. Yeah, I know um, you would say it's therapeutic to just get out there and do that with something like that. Yeah. I never really had that whole thing like feel-wise. I mean, I had like race cars and I autocrossed and, you know, did go fast stuff with cars and whatnot too, but uh I don't know, I just never got that whole like therapy thing of driving on the street like that never not saying there's anything wrong with your way of looking at it but i talk to guys all the time that say yeah i man i get out in that thing and it's just like it's decompression like i love it oh it's it just puts a stupid smile on my face because it's like here i am driving this five thousand plus pound shitbox cherokee that like cody said looks like it's been totaled multiple times (laughs) but now that i've gotten you know some of the abuse from the last couple wheeling trips i'm on stickies that are at like fucking six psi and the thing goes down the road at 55 miles an hour with two fingers on the steering wheel again that's fucking awesome to me um that's an accomplishment for sure if you wheel it i mean i I assume hydro assist that helps hydro assist yep (laughs) um your ball joints can be like completely oh, yeah. off and you won't oh, know. Oh, they are absolutely <laughs> um, <laughs> But to further the point, um, if I were to have had the option of tube chassis when I went to get into this, I wouldn't have done it. 
Not because it's just because of the initial investment, right? Like I got into this because my dad was into diesel truck racing and that was a fucking expensive hobby if you're 16. You just it's a big jump if you don't know somebody who did this, like rock yep. run. I said your uncle or your dad or your neighbor or somebody you were close with. It is a big jump to just be like, I don't know anything about this. It looks kind of cool, but you know, I'm going to spend X amount of dollars to jump in with both feet into some professional caliber rock crawling stuff. I get that completely. It's a lot easier to get a Jeep and be like, I can sell this and somebody will want it. If I don't like it, I can play around with it and do stuff slowly and test the waters and, you know, do it. It's multi-purpose. I get all of that, man. That is, that is very true. And the final point I'm going to add is now with where I am at, if I ever go to do a tube chassis, it is going to be a tube chassis built to the 4800 class uh, specs. And it is also going to still have turn signals and uh, standard headlights. So it'll get plated as a razor where I live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will still be street driving it, even if it is completely scratch built tube chassis yeah i mean if when if you know where you're at and that's where you're at there's absolutely nothing wrong with that like you know not everybody has to decide they want to go extreme in one direction and do i mean there's yeah i can respect all sides of of pieces and parts from you know coming at this from all angles so that's cool man yeah and the thing that i really have to say i like about x rocks X-Rocks is not for me. I am not the target demographic, but I love watching the extreme end of the sport, like watching people like Ricky Barrett, um, and I forget the some of the other names, but like when I saw the event come up from Good Evening Ranch, because like I really like Good Evening Ranch as a park, um, now thanks to the event that we've got going on, I know the uh, managers on a first name basis um, great yeah great people down there man yeah when i saw that event come up i just had to go through and watch all the clips it's not exactly what i want to do but it is extreme and it is very in your face and it puts eyeballs on stuff which is awesome yeah that's what we're going for man you know i think the biggest comment i get from anybody that watches what we do is you know, something along the lines of if you had told me that a car was going to drive over this or through this or whatever, I would have told you you were full of shit. There is no way. And then I watched it happen and I still can't believe it. Like it's a, if you don't have a point of reference for that stuff, people are just blown away because you wouldn't. I mean, it's so far removed from even, like I said, even from like We Rock. I mean, it's, it's, it's a level of stuff that most people can't fathom or comprehend if they haven't been around it you get used to it just like anything else extreme but um yeah it's uh it's something i hear that a lot it's something has got to be one of the weirdest phrases ever because it can also it can be a compliment and it can be disbelief (laughs) it's a it's something All right, so let's go into what have you had for vehicles? We like this has been the most podcast of all of our podcasts I will say we have ever had, which has been quite fun where we just talk about a topic and go off on it. It was awesome. But let's talk oh, yeah, a little bit more yeah, about you. I didn't know if you were just going to talk or it's better this way if you ask me. I mean, 
Did I just robot? Sorry, I just saw no. that I had a. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so let's dive into a little bit. Let's tell us about your rigs and you know your fab shop and all that. Kind of dive in. Sure. All right, so I started in this. Um, like I said, when I got kicked out of high school and went to reform school, and uh, you know I wanted a big dumb mud truck because that's what everybody had. So we, uh, I got myself like an old first gen Dodge with a three eighteen gas motor in it, half ton Dodge that had. 35s on it, mud tires, you know, a bunch of lift and whatnot. And I flogged that thing through the mud and broke stuff and learned how to fix things and did that. And that was cool um, with all my buddies from, you know, reform school and whatnot. Did that thing for a while. And then, as I said, as soon as I saw this whole, you know, hey, you can drive on rocks, that was it. And, of course, we didn't have rock crawlers. What I knew was, like, these big square body Chevys and full-size you know, mud trucks. So we were trying to do rock crawling in those things. And I mean, honestly, it kind of works. They're not the vehicle for it, but it'll teach you how to drive. I can tell you that if you can put a full size truck through a rock crawling course, like you're a, you're a hell of a driver. So, um, we did a bunch of that. And then I don't know, from there, I kind of said, I never liked Jeeps. Jeeps just weren't really my thing. Like we'd go out with guys that had Jeeps and stuff and they were always just kind of, I don't know. They, I don't even know how to describe it, but they just didn't feel like robust. I don't know. They didn't have that eight cylinder like growl. And, you know, when you're a young kid and into, you know, it was like these things are just kind of wimpy. So kind of tinker toys. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, and they'd always get stuck and you'd have to pull them out when it comes to like driving through mud and stuff. And it was always the running joke, you know, like the guys at the Jeeps just couldn't do the stuff that these big like monster trucks could do. So. But yeah, when we started transforming from there and transitioning over into like the rock crawling stuff, I don't know. It was just pretty apparent to me, like I said, that like I want to build stuff that's like tubular and or at very least like completely designed to to go off road. So the first thing that I had that I built was a 78 Suburban chassis that somebody gave to me that when I had my shop, I started working on cars for dealerships and whatnot. And I bounced around working at a couple dealerships. And then I started my own shop and was doing regular mechanics work. And then I said, you know, I should really just try and do an off-road shop. And that's where I started doing off-road only work and whatnot. And from there, you know, you build what you know. It's like, all right, I don't know anything about tube chassis. I mean, tube chassis weren't really a thing at that point. You got to realize, like, you're going back into... um the era where, like, Steve Rumor of Avalanche Engineering, you know what I mean? He made the sniper. Um, you had a couple guys who were putting things together, like Sonny Honiger built uh, the Scorpion MK2 for uh, Heath Biggs. There were a couple things like that. Eventually, um, you know, Tiny got built, and John Nelson put that thing together, and John Bundren, um ran it, and that was like a game changer. But, I mean that's even past where we're talking about when i started doing this it was you know for some reason it's the silly things right that like you you wonder like guys had been having full tube chassis and like nascars and like rail dragsters and funny cars and stuff like that for years this was nothing new but for some reason like you know tunnel vision closed mindedness in our sport like guys were like no what you need to do is start with like a 19 you know 70 something shoebox bronco or like a jeep cj like that's the right 
platform for this. And nobody was doing anything with tubes. It was one of those things where it kind of like, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, why did it take us so long to go full tube? But anyway, um, during that era, that's when I built this 78 Suburban. I always loved to like go big on stuff, big verticals. So the thing was like 120 some inch wheelbase, uh, you know, big tires and uh, one ton parts, you know, eight cylinder TH400 Atlas. Um, when Atlas's first came out, it was right after they did the peanut case and all that stuff, the prototypes. I don't know if you guys know about any of that stuff, but um, yeah, man, Pat Gramillion had the first, I think, peanut case in his welder wagon, the guy that owns Premier Power Welder. Um, but so, yeah, like that era of stuff, um, we cobbled things together, and that's where it started on the East Coast. And from there, I guess it quickly morphed into tube chassis stuff. And, uh, yeah, that's the direction we went. And now I got a whole bunch of stuff. I got a, an old Bronco 2 Truggy that's sitting with a broken axle shaft that's been sitting for, I think, at least three years now, and I refuse to put an axle shaft in. I mean, I'm just so... Like, I couldn't do anything with it. You know what I mean? I could go wreck wheel it, but I always got a seat with somebody else if I need it. Um, so it's not like I'm wanting for a way to go wreck wheel. And if I built another comp car, I really don't have anything I could run it in. I mean, there's nobody other than, like, Little Rich with Trail Hero, which he does, you know, Trail Breaker once a year. There's really nothing I'm interested in running or that I'd be able to run. Um, I can't run my own stuff. That's a huge conflict of interest, obviously. So I've got a piece of a ProMod chassis sitting, uh, you know, on my chassis table in my shop right now. And I've got the base of a moon car chassis sitting there and countless pieces and parts, transmissions, engines, you know, transfer cases, you name it. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I've got, I've got a pile of, you know, I won't say expensive, but, um, more expensive than I guess a lot of people's stuff, garbage sitting in the corner of my shop collecting dust. That's what I wheel. I wheel this uh, this mouse in front of me that I'm using on the computer to talk to you guys right now. And I get in with my buddies, and I'll, uh, I'll do things like that. I'll go out and spot for people. I do a lot of that sort of thing. We cut a lot of trails, do a lot of, like, property development for various off-road parks and things like that. We're out. So I'm out a lot. And we still wheel locally and whatnot. It's just I haven't driven in quite some time. Damn. Well, that's holy shit. So, all right, what's your plan with the the moon buggy in ProMod? Are you planning on making some abortion of a rig, or uh, well, there's they're like they're two separate rigs. So, ProMod when the sport started, I don't know how much you guys know about the the history of the origins of the sport of competitive rock crawling but when it started there were three classes mod stock pro mod and unlimited so mod stock is basically your jeeps it's something that has to be to start life as a factory you know production vehicle with a minimum run of 500 or more in a model year and it has to be something that still resembles that it has to retain all body panels you can't like cut holes in the floorboard for load bearing shocks there's a million and one rules you can't alter the wheelbase more than three inches from stock in any direction that's mod stock that's the most restrictive class in my opinion that class is awesome and it's something that like i would love to see we actually ran mod stock in x-rock like we had a class four guys doing that we had quite a few guys out doing it for a couple of years um but the problem is those vehicles 
are based on on factory stuff and a lot of them are getting older now so like when you're putting those cars through hard stuff and the bodies are getting destroyed you can't expect somebody to have to go find another tub every year and cut all their cage work off and put the new tub on there and then go back i mean it's just it's not sustainable so that class i think we need to move in the direction if we're going to do something like that of pin on body panels something that's the dimensions of a stock vehicle but at that point, I mean, you're getting eerily close to what a pro mod is. So anyway, that brings me up to what we were talking about with the pro mod. Uh, the pro mod is the middle class. That's two seats side by side. Um, front engine, uh, you know, 40-inch tire. Used to be a 37-inch tire. No rear steer, all that sort of thing. Um, basically, what most people think of as your old school or what you'd call like a legends class rock crawler um, the, the, in the early days of stuff. And that, um, that class is completely defunct at this point on the East Coast. I haven't had a mod stock compete, or I mean a pro mod rather, compete in, uh, in many years. So yeah, I have one of those chassis sitting there, and I don't know. I don't know that it's ever going to do anything it's just going to sit there but um yeah um and then unlimited that's your moon cars like you talk about rear steering whatever and now we rock another thing they've done is added a bunch of classes so they're blurring the lines between like you know pro and amateur and they've got like trail buggy and rear steer trail buggy and now they've got like double a sportsman classes and stuff so which i, I honestly think that's kind of a disservice i think it 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 dilutes the field and dilutes the class i think we have i think we need fewer classes so that's what i did with extra i went to a singular class we run unlimited which is the hard you know the, the highest caliber of cars and that's it you show up you run what you bring i mean you can't be a helicopter and fly over the rocks but as long as it meets the basic standards for safety tech and is a functional four-wheel powered vehicle to drive over rocks that's pretty much anything goes past that. So, yeah, the moon car chassis that I have in there, I started years ago, and it's set up for a V8 motor, and I wouldn't want to do that these days, so I'd have to cut the motor mounts out of it. And uh, it was set up for a V8 and a Turbo 400, and I don't, I wouldn't run that these days. So, uh, yeah, I'd use something like an Ecotech or a Honda motor, and uh, doing that, you know, I... I I may eventually get around to building that one, but I have a kid and he's uh, about to turn eight years old and I'd like to get him out in the car. So then I play the game of, man, you know, I should do the pro mod, but the pro mod two seats side by side is, I don't know, it's just not functional for what I want to do with it. So then you go into the whole idea of, man, I could do a fighter jet style, like two seats in a row, which those rigs look completely ridiculous, but they give you the benefit of like the skinniness of a moon car. That's and, pretty uh, wild. I just, I don't know. I, I throw a lot of stuff around and then basically I realize that I've got my hands full with everything I'm doing more than enough, like of my own time and money expended on this. And uh, I should just stick to, working on the sport and having other guys build vehicles and, and run them. Because if I'm not here, where are they going to go use them? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Somebody has to do this. And uh, 
I think it might as well be the guy who uh, who has a pretty good handle on this sort of thing and, and enjoys it. And I do, for all my bitching, which, you know, I'm the crotchety, get-off-my-lawn old guy and love to bitch about everything. <laughs> I, I 100% do enjoy doing this, and it is, you know, I love the sport. And I'm absolutely passionate about it. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's I think, where I'm going to be at for the foreseeable future as long as long uh, as long as we have a sport to – to promote and do this with. I mean, like I said about the insurance stuff and people saying they're not showing up because they don't like X, Y, or Z and not being team players. Like we have to work together. Like it's a, I go back to like, it's a symbiotic relationship between the, the sanctioning body and the competitors. I need competitors. I can do events without spectators, right? Not that you want to do events with no spectators, but like mm -hmm. I can do events without spectators. I can't do events without competitors, right? And competitors can't have events without a sanctioning body. So that much I need to at least be able to work together. But that's where we come back full circle into this whole entrenched, you know, headbutting and internal politics and hoopla that, that causes that to be stressful. What I moved into is, you know, I guess what I need to do is what I'm what I'm doing now, more than any of this nonsense, more than any of this hoopla of trying to build vehicles, because I got nothing I can compete with them in, man. I can't, you know, I don't have any, I can't compete in my own stuff. I can't, you know, there's really nothing out there for me, for me to go run. And um, that's the type of thing that I want to do other than what Little's doing with the, you know, Trailbreaker, and that's a once a year event. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think I need to try to just keep doing more than building vehicles and more than wheeling. I, mean, I, I still get out. We do a lot of stuff like locally with, you know, my buddies and I'll spot for them and we'll go out and wreck wheel. And that's always a great way to blow off steam. But rather than concern myself with trying to build vehicles, I got to be the guy, you know, keeping our sport moving forward. And the way to do that, like I said, we've, uh, we've got a great group of sponsors i got to shout out my sponsors here um hopefully you guys don't mind but we got behemoth drivetrain um jim Wynn, who has been uh phenomenal in his work with the acquisition of of behemoth from jacob and uh yeah he's he's putting out some really high-end quality products everybody should check out what the new behemoth has got going on because uh you won't be disappointed uh brannock motorsports stan and brandon haynes Best axle shafts on the planet right now. Awesome guys. Um, yeah, they'll take care of you for anything you need custom axle-wise. And boy, do they take a beating. You look at all these guys in our series that run their stuff, and, and they hold up great. Um, Mother's Recovery. Mother's Recovery is uh, Cord Reside out of New Jersey. He's got a family towing service. He's starting up. He's a guy you guys should talk to as far as a podcast. He's starting up a... Uh, an off-road recovery branch of their family towing business, kind of like what, uh, you know, these guys out West do like Rory Irish with uh tow mater and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, to uh, David Hellman. He was super cool. Yep. Well, that's Cord. He's the East coast version of that sort of thing. He is uh, one of our sponsors, phenomenal guy. He's on site doing recovery at all of our events. If you guys are out for the field and forest tonight, you'll get to meet him. Um, Jim Markham, from JM Rigging Supply. He does uh, winch lines and spotter straps and all sorts of rigging stuff. Great guy with years of experience in the industry. Um, he'll be out at Field and Forest, I'm pretty sure, as well. Um, Jesse Haynes Fabrication, right? Uh, Got to thank Jesse, of course. One of the few guys who's been around doing this 
as long as I have. He was around back in the late 90s, early 2000s when we were we were doing this sort of thing. Um, and he's been innovating ever since. All his stuff is top-notch and has changed the sport considerably over the years. Um, Summit Machine, Julene Judd. She does 7075 aluminum links, amongst other things, like her own proprietary line of joints and whatnot. Um, all good quality stuff. Great woman to work with. Super supportive. Um, yeah, Raceline Wheels is uh, has come on, and uh, they've been helping us with a bunch of stuff, which is great. And your guys, um, local boy Eric Amato, who I guess you guys have had on. Um, mm -hmm. awesome. Eric is Radio great Dynamics. Best steering stuff out there. Quality quality equipment for sure. His new trophy truck pump is beast. If you guys have seen that thing, so. Um, but yeah, those guys have helped us do what we need to do. I also want to shout out Randy Cruz from uh, Texas Top Gun Shootout because he's the first guy who um, who came up with this idea of paying out ten grand, right? And that's important. If you look at like Ultra Four payout, they had a race up here at Reading Off Road um the other week last weekend and they only pay out 15k for first 3000 for second 1000 for third and their entry fees are significantly higher right and that's ultra four racing which is by all accounts you know more funded than what we got going on so the way our sponsors have stepped up for this this year is absolutely phenomenal man they uh that we're paying out close to $30,000 across two events, 10,000 for first and, you know, as well as payouts for second and third place, which is nothing to sneeze at. But the man who started that was Randy Cruz with the uh, Texas Top Gun shootout out there at uh, K2, Katempsey Rocks. Um, he was the one that said, yeah, we need to put money in this. And when I heard that he did that, I said, yeah. I'm keeping that ball rolling. That's what we're doing this year. I don't care if we can only do one or two events. I'm not doing an event if we can't pay out 10,000 bucks. And all these sponsors um, that I just mentioned were the ones that were crazy enough to to side with me and say, yeah, Hans, that's a great idea. You know, where do we sign? So thanks to all of those guys. And uh, yeah, thanks to Randy for, for being the first one to stick his neck out and do that. And uh, I think we're headed in the right direction. We just have to get past some of this uh, hoopla with uh, the internal politics. And like I said, attract some of these guys. Like these, uh, we were talking about these 12-year-old kids doing backflips on dirt bikes. We need to create a product that that guy wants to join. He That he wants to build a race car and say, I want to compete in X-Rock. That's cool. I want to do that. So... That's, uh, I think that's the, that's the biggest thing I got to be concerned with, because if we don't have, um, if we don't have that, then we won't have a sport. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We've got to get new guys. We've got to bring in new blood. We've got to grow the sport. We've got to evolve. And um, somebody has to do it. And that person kind of has to have a pretty good idea of what's going on in, you know, all angles of this and the history of it. Or, you know, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. So, uh, so uh, with that, what do you think the rec wheelers can do to bring more people in and get them up to the next level? Because I think showing up for events is the single biggest thing. Um, I mean, honestly, guys that can't show up, just join in our forum. Like I have XRock has a forum and there's, I don't know, 600 people on there or something like that right now. I can assure you all 600 of those guys do not 
rock crawl and X rock competitively. They're there to glean information from these guys, to be able to ask questions and see what's going on and talk about their builds and stuff like that. So that's huge. Being able to interact and, and get involved. That's one. Um, Is it kind of like the old pirate vibe? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a, uh, it's, I'm unabashedly going to say what I'm going to say. If you guys have figured out anything by this conversation, it's probably I'm not afraid to say what I want to say, and it doesn't matter who's pissed off by it. So there's that. I mean, that piece of it is kind of pirate-esque. But um, it's funny. I haven't been on pirate in years since it was sold to, like, the Canadians or whatever. I don't know. uh, ruin that fucking website. (laughs) I don't know what my pirate number is. I'd have to go, I wonder if I still have my password. I haven't logged. Anyway, I'm sure it's, like, you know, I was on Pirate again, late nineties, right? As soon as it started. So but yeah, not the same as it used to be. I guess it still exists, but I haven't been on it in years. It, it's not the same and like not enough people get told to go fuck themselves for asking <laughs> what size bolt the Super Duty sixty uses. Yeah, I mean Lance did really well with that and I'm super happy for him and you know, that was a huge service to get. And that's like history stuff that most people unless you go back and you know and understand that and were there for that sort of thing, it doesn't oh, really boy. carry the weight. So also Bill Vista, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, with his mega threads that were just absolute autism about what Dana City <laughs> parts are compatible. Yeah, so Bill's another, he's a Canadian guy. That was uh, Right Coast Crawlers was his group. Um, that that came considerably later. That was, I mean, he was towards the tail end of, of the pirate era. But, yeah, he absolutely did a lot. Like his Dana 60 Bible and stuff, you know, if you need, like, to know what race number or, you know, whatever seal part number is for this. Like, yeah, that's uh, absolutely useful. There's a bunch of useful tech in there that he still keeps up that guys access from time to time, I'm sure. So, but... Also, he did the uh, the four-link calculator, which is a contentious subject these days, but I found it to be super fucking helpful. Yeah, <laughs> I've never used a four-link calculator. I mean, if you, like, learn... There's a bunch of, like... Herb Adams chassis engineering and you know things like that. You can read a bunch of like race car mechanics books and it'll explain like the concepts of basic, you know, roll access center and anti squat and things like that. And I, um link separation and all those sorts of things, you know, for torsion. It's, it's a little known fact, but I can't read. I just <laughs> put numbers in and see numbers <laughs> move and it makes me happy. That generation, right? I hear you, buddy. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Well, I know uh, you can't spell because uh, uh, half the podcast descriptions, <laughs> but that's besides the point. I didn't realize you couldn't read either. Makes sense. Now you can't prove Jeez, man. <laughs> the guy alone. But no, I think I do agree with you. I know that uh, one of my grandfather's friends, uh, bless his soul, he just recently passed away, but he was mentioning to me the, I believe it's called the Four Link Bible or something like that. It's an old school drag racing book that like just, like explains how to like help your car and adjust your car when it's doing certain things and like how to build out the four link based off of xyz and he was mentioning it to me and that's something that i'm probably going to pick up at yeah. some point too that sort of stuff i mean i'm not familiar with that exact 
book you're mentioning, but there's quite a bit of information out there uh, you know, on that subject if you want to dive into it. The basics of understanding, you know, what it is you're trying to accomplish. Like, you know, again, we go back to like the, the, the Ultra 4 cars, the Go Fast guys were here at Reading, and I do a lot of work there. We've cut in our comp course there, and I'm on like the fourth or fifth phase of expansion uh, over the years. We started cutting there before it was ever an off-road park. And we do a lot of other stuff in the area, AOAA and, you know, Roush Creek and stuff we have. But anyway, um, those guys were running through there, and you look at those cars, and I was on their forum, um, you know, Rock Sports Insiders, busting Casey Gilbert's balls about, uh, you know, because he, he posted up these videos, and, you know, it was all for fun. But he posted up these videos of these guys on this trail that we take, like, you know, Jeeps on 35s up, and he was on the bypass, right? And he was, like, posting how extreme this was. And him and Josh and Rusty were trying to hammer through there, and they were, like, hung on the diff, and I was like, Dude, you know, gotta love Ultra 4 cars. Like, they can't even make it up the bypass, let alone the regular trail. And it's, it's as much as I'm joking, like, the reason those cars work as poorly as they do in rocks is because they're set up to absorb impacts at speed. And you can't have it both ways. If you're setting up a vehicle to be able to hit rocks at 50 miles an hour and suck that up and absorb it, you're not going to create contact pressure at two miles an hour on rocks, you know? So it's like so much of it is understanding what it is you're trying to accomplish with the engineering of what it is you're trying to do. Nowadays, like, the thing that's changed, like all of this back in the day, there was no, like any of like this pre-made stuff. The biggest difference is now you have like four link kit from Dan DeBose of Motobuilt to like bolt on and do this, you know, or like Barnes four wheel drive. Here's like the truss for this. And like it positions your links here to put like, there's guys who just do stuff like this without knowing. And I'm not like bragging on them, you know what I mean? But like, they don't know, you don't have to know to end up with something that works. Like it'll certainly go down the trail and sort of function. But back in the day, you had to build all that stuff and engineer all of it from scratch. And, you know, obviously the guys who know what they're doing, they're the real proper fabricators, that's what they're doing when they're engineering stuff like that. And that's kind of a lost art. There's not as many people doing that sort of thing nowadays. It's more bolt and blast. Which uh, the, mm -hmm. the thing I will say though, I am one hundred and twenty percent on board with that stuff coming out because if you can understand some of the principles behind it and like you've been in it for a while, it makes it so much easier to build something wild. Yeah, I mean it allows you like you gotta understand the engineer one way or the other. You have to know why like things behave the way they do if you change the distance between this attachment point and this attachment point you know what i mean what is that doing and and things like that those sorts of things at, there's a lot of stuff man like there's a lot of stuff for like theoretical center of mass for like yeah. making a vehicle work is not anywhere near as simple as most people probably think it is but that said you can absolutely cobble something together and make something sort of work within reason that's still probably better than most of everybody else's stuff. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, I guess, with that. But um, And you always have to cheat anyway. Like, if you build a vehicle, 
the ultimate, even if you start from scratch with tubes and you build the whole thing, the right way to do that is to engineer the whole thing on one piece of paper. And, you know, what most people do is they'll like, all right, the motor's going to go here. Well, now X is in the way of Y, so we got to figure out a way to make this work. We're going to move this, and we're going to move that. That's not like they do it in stages. Oh, well, this doesn't fit now, so we're going to – and I understand. That's like the limit of most people's engineering, the average guy. What you want to do is engineer the entire vehicle from scratch. Like if you have like a Formula One car. You look at what those guys do. They engineer the whole car in one swoop, and I mean they spend a lot of money doing this, but like that's the right way to do it. Getting to that point requires an incredible understanding of what it is you're trying to accomplish. And then even then you got to cheat. Even if you start from dead scratch, you know, nothing, you're going to wind up in a situation where you're like, man, if I want 50 degrees of steering, this link is going to have to go, you know, an inch over this way. And that's not where I want that because that's going to impact X, Y, and Z. But like, I want 50 degrees of steering more. And I don't want the car to be six inches wider, so that's what we deal with. And that's the game you play when you get into the, the heavy-duty levels of what we do. And that stuff is notable. Like, I don't know if you – again, you, the, your conversation earlier about what can the average rec wheeler do, come out. I have a whole bunch of buddies of mine, right, people that are now friends with me or whatever, that they met, like – me by coming out and seeing this stuff and they're like i get it now i see what these cars work and i can see that one works differently than this one hans explained to me what is different about car a from car b and when you start seeing that stuff and you go over it and i give you a rundown or whatever guys will be like oh i get it now like i want to work to create this and it's you're always playing the game of what you want to maximize and minimize where you're going to rob peter to pay paul and 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 that's the that's the balance of it you know what i mean that's the that's the part of it that's the artistic like uh, i don't know the part that i guess appeals to you know like you were saying you're you're you know computer savvy and you like that type that's the beauty in something like that when you see the way somebody packaged something and you're like yeah i know why he did that i see what yeah. he did there and he wasn't happy about this but he did it this way and you know most people don't look at cars like that i guess they look at it and go wow those tig welds are sexy like that's <laughs> rainbow you know but um yeah i don't know again it's a different like it's a different way of looking at things, I guess. And that's a lot of that is lost. And I'd love to get back to that. I would. I'd love to like help guys get, but at the same time, like it's not for everybody. And, and you don't, I don't, I don't want people to hear this and think that like I don't respect you if you don't know all this. It's not like that. Not everybody needs to know that. That's why we have chassis guys. But it's like if me and Jesse Haynes or, you know, whoever are going to be having a conversation about stuff like this, it's going to be drastically different than me and, you know, your average guy who does rec wheeling, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's where, it, I don't know. You need all sides of it. You need somebody, you can't, if nobody's going to buy that stuff, you're kind of not in business. If everybody knows all that stuff and does it themselves, I guess. So. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, and there's like levels to it too, right? Like, I'm not really most likely ever going to compete, so that's not something that I need to know at that level. I do like certain aspects of competition vehicles, so I research how those affect everything, 
And I did rob Peter to pay Paul on my rear forelink. Um, I should have like definitely had more rear upper uh, separation at the axle uh, width-wise, not like height-wise. Height-wise, yeah. fine. But Triangulation, it, right. You're it's not over track bar. Yeah. yeah, it's over-triangulated on the upper links, and that created some interesting stuff that I was able to tune around, but like I didn't expect it to be at the level it was for the first time. Limit straps do a lot, but I'm assuming you're experiencing a lot of rear steer during... No. Okay. Just body roll. Okay. But I ended up cranking the adjusters down, so now it's hitting the dual rate uh, about a quarter of an inch off, and it's kind of not exactly the perfect solution. Um, and I rocks but, do a lot. I'm not telling you to go put one on there, but you can if you run. How much up travel are you running? I'm running five inches. Yeah, that doesn't help with your body roll either. I mean, so like yours again, if you were like running it as a dedicated crawler that had an inch or two of up travel to a hard bump or something, you run air bumps and all that? No. Okay. Yeah. Um, you're running it with like less up travel, you know what I mean? Then you could suck I mean you can cheat with suck down winches. You can do a lot of things with a lot of things, but having five inches of up travel is not gonna help your your body roll situation off camber with something like that. I agree. No. But you need well, it so you're not bleeding out of the kidneys when you're driving down a trail at speed yes <laughs> and my rig does very well i know cody's laughing because he was in it at roush when i was really getting on it but like these were in fact bleeding yep <laughs> i think overall given what it is it is exceptionally well behaved at speed uh especially off-road it's better than mine um, and like, I'm not afraid of sending that thing off of weird off camber jumps and whatnot. At this point, I've started getting very comfortable with that to a point. It's actually becoming a problem. Right. Um, so like I robbed Peter to pay Paul, but I'm happy with the results. So results overall, I almost said risotto. I was going to say you're, you're risotto. You're yeah. a you didn't even know it. Um, <laughs> Peter to pay Paul, and you're happy with the results overall. Make it a wrap. <laughs> there you, go. Uh, you don't even know it. And one other thing that I will say that's been super cool um, for outsider looking in at X Rocks is, especially after talking with someone like Ricky, I like seeing some of the different car designs that are coming out of there. Like Project Lemon Drop is definitely different. It's cool. Yeah, it's a. Uh... That's an interesting one, right? Like, I'm sure he catches all kinds of hell for that, right? But, I mean, realistically speaking, the Dana 30 is not a exceptionally bad axle. I mean, when you, like, when treated and looked upon as what it is meant for, like, I mean, the Dana 35 is a piece of garbage. The Dana 30 is actually not a terrible piece of equipment. Like, I mean, no, they hold up a fine. lot better than you would think, especially with the big JK outers that he now put on it and stuff. I still think it's a little, I mean, sooner or later. He did that just to do it, obviously. And I'm sure if you talk to Ricky, it wasn't like, you know what I mean? Okay. He's got like nothing to prove. It was just kind of like, well, this is what I wanted to do. So I did it. I know he's building a new rig with uh big boy like 10 and a half toyota parts which is like going in the polar opposite direction but um yeah i mean lemon drop is cool for sure he's got a lot of neat stuff in there like he's got the the setup from the lull like if you guys have ever used a telehandler you know forklift that has the the selector switch to allow you to go like 
the different modes for your front and rear steer. So you can have it like crab or you could have it like opposite lock or you can have independent. Um, he's actually running one of those. He's done a bunch of neat stuff with that thing. Yeah, Rick, he's a, an interesting guy. And so this is going out to Bob. What was your takeaway from running an X-Rox event at Field and Forest? Well, Bob... Bob is an interesting guy as well, since we're talking about interesting guys. Bob and I get along really well, and I think it's because we're a lot more alike than um, maybe he would want to admit. I would want to admit. I don't know. Either one of us would want to admit. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, Bob's a guy. He takes no shit, man. He, um, I met Bob from... Um, I was doing a put-up-or-shut-up event at Chaos, which is another park where we went uh, down in West Virginia and near the Cove, if you guys know where, uh, like, Big Dogs does their events there in Gore. Um, Next mountain over, there's an off-road park there owned by a guy named John Rubenstein, and uh, we've been working with him, and we cut in the comp area up top of there. A.K. Watley took us over there a couple years ago, and he was like, I want to see if there's anything in here that you guys would be able to use. Well turns out there was but anyway i made a post on facebook with some photos and of course bob and liza are like i said you know this is the hardest stuff on the east coast this is what we're running (laughs) and you know bob of course that's that got bob's ears perked right up and he's like hardest stuff eh you know and i was like well bob you know it was kind of like he hadn't met me and you know i'm sure he knew me by way of like other people but he was like well, how can you say that if you don't know, you haven't been to my place? And I said, well, I've been a lot of places, Bob, and, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but, um, you know, I have a pretty good handle on what, I mean, this is pretty gnarly stuff and blah, 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 blah. But I said, I would love to come see your spot. So fast forward, I went up there and, you know, he was walking me around and he's like, well, what are you looking for? And he showed me a bunch of stuff. We walked around the property. I assume you guys frequent um, field and forest yourselves being up there in that area, right? That would be the Grumbino's area of expertise. I um, I moved to Tennessee right when the rig was right about ready to go there. Okay. Well, so it is a cool park, absolutely. And so Bob's walking me around, and there's like, he had me on, you know, showed me a bunch of stuff, like bunghole and taint has a bunch of stuff we could use, but you'd have to cut a ton of stuff. And um I know he didn't want to do that. And honestly, I didn't want to do that. It's a lot of work. We don't need it. And then, you know, we walked around all kinds of other stuff he had there. There's some stuff on Sucker Punch in the back that could be useful, but it's hard on the property line and it's hard to get spectators in and out of there. And then he showed me dick in the dirt because I was like, you have anything bigger? Like you have like big rock, like they had a lot of stuff, but a lot of it is not necessarily massive like monolithic rocks the size of a vehicle or a house like you know what i mean some of it is but anyway i was like do you have a concentration of that he took me over there and i was like this is where we need to do this this is where we need to do this so um you know eugene whitford and the guys up there that i guess rhode island trail slayers and those fellas did a bunch of work cutting in some stuff helping us out with some things and uh that's where we did the first one. But yeah, as far as what exactly I can take away from Field and Forest, great facility. The big thing about it, you know, everybody's always says, oh, they got the hardest stuff in the world. I, I don't think, it's not that they, like there are other facilities that have the same level of difficulty. It's not a matter of like, 
you know, this place is harder than this place. Like there's, there's a lot of places that if you want to create silly lines for comp rigs, they're there. And most people don't see them as even lines. You may have to cut stuff because nobody considered putting a car on it, but they're there. What makes field and forest unique that I've never seen anywhere else in, you know, my travels is, and I'm not a geologist. I premise this by saying i don't know why it's like this i don't know if it's glacial or what the whole deal is but i can tell you that that piece of property the hundred acres or whatever he's got there has more hard rocks and big boulders and stuff like that in one place than i've ever seen anywhere like it's it's a unicorn in that regard because like the most places you know like there's a there's a section of hard stuff like a little pocket of it and then you gotta go like two miles out to find that other pocket of hard stuff on the side of the mountain that you can use there it's like everywhere is the whole property is 100 acres of nothing but rocks and uh if you break or whatever you can like walk back to your vehicle which is atypical for sure that's not the norm so no phenomenal facility phenomenal people bob and liza are great to work with and I said Bob's kind of. I think he's a lot like like I am, so we get along pretty well. <laughs> so, is there any chance we'll see you out our way, or my way? I should say, like um, closer to Tennessee. I get calls from landowners every month wanting us to do stuff all over, man. And I mean, that's not bragging. That's not me saying like, oh, look at me. It's just, it's true. I wish I could go to more of these places. It's um. It's tough because, like I said, we have these great people, right? And that is the key to what we do with XROC is having those key people that help us and come with us everywhere. Those guys all have jobs. They're all people that, like, in order to do events, they have to take their personal time off and invest in this. And I would not be able to do an event like that if I can't get them out there it just wouldn't work so when guys say hey we want you in utah and we want this and we want like i'd love to do that i just don't know if it's feasible and i also don't want to do an event if i can't pay out a reasonable payout if i can't Mm -hmm. come up with a ten thousand dollar payout and you know plus whatever on top of that for second and third place podium then i'm not interested so it depends on a bunch of stuff there's a i'm not opposed to it but it would have to it would have to work for all parties, let's put it that way. Um, but it's absolutely something that I've talked about and that people talk to me about and are interested in, and I would love to see it happen. There's also the issue of having to cut in stuff that works. Like even at, at Field and Fire, like most people, those guys are used to like hardcore stuff. And it was still like, well, we need to cut in stuff that's harder than this for what we do with X-Rock. So... Guys like, you know, it's, they call me and they say, yeah, I have these these huge rocks and you got to come check them out. Or, you know, we got these impossible trails and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, send me pictures. Like, if I go down there and take a look at this, like, number one, it may not be useful for what we're doing because their idea of extreme and our idea of extreme are two very different things. And we may have to cut stuff. And if I have to go down there and cut stuff, like, that's a lot harder if I have to travel 14 hours to go cut you know it's not something i can get done in a weekend or whatever so um yeah there's a lot of pieces and parts to it um what that needs is money honestly it needs support and backing and 
it's a chicken or egg scenario. But to get to those further away locations requires the competitors being more involved and taking it more seriously and everybody working together and the sport working together and getting everybody, you know, on the same page. There's a lot to it. Um, everybody I know just thinks you can be like, well, we're going to go there and we're going to set up an event. I could do that, but it would be doomed to fail. It would, it would not mm -hmm. be representation of what we're trying to do. So that said, I mean, are there any parks in your area that you think would be useful and have existing terrain set up and possibly spectator access for the type of stuff we do? Like really I gnarly stuff. I think that the finger trails at AOP would be worth the worth a bit of research at the very least. Okay. Uh, that's like Little Caesars, Granny Templeton, um, those types of trails. They have a lot of interesting lines, and they've been a lot of that stuff is pre-cut and extreme. Um, and then, as far as getting spectators, there's a green trail that runs right to them. I know they do bouncer events and stuff down there. Yeah, um, I would assume some of that stuff could carry over. Um, yes, um, but. I'm going to give Cody the chance to ask it. <laughs> so, alrighty. So something that I usually ask almost every guest is uh, for the people that are listening that are kind of getting into rock crawling or trying to go to their next tire size, just try to get some input from different guests that we have. What is your favorite DOT tire for off-road use? And what is the absolute worst that you would tell somebody, never buy this, I will pop all your tires if you buy these tires? type tires like what is the worst dot tire for off-road use i'm gonna be honest with you like i don't know that dot tires work all that much differently from one another i mean there's a couple that work better than others um like sidewall strength is your big thing that you're going to see differentiating between dot tires right and like how they behave based on sidewall flex and whatnot and punctures so like pretty much all dot compounds are close tread blocks and you know separation and squirm and stuff is similar because like they're all in the same rough area of of hardness um there's a lot more differentiation when you start talking about stickies and how those perform but like i would say that I mean, you're asking for the worst tire or the best tire? Both. Both. Okay. Both. Yep. I mean, there's been some things, and I mean, I don't know. I don't think I'm ever going to get sponsored by them, so it shouldn't <laughs> be, you know, me bad-mouthing anybody. But, like, I think some guy had federal courageous on a vehicle when we were somewhere, and I was, like, absolutely flabbergasted at how poorly these tires worked like i looked at it and i was like man like these are i swear like somebody greased the tires with butter when you weren't like it was just <laughs> absolutely now they didn't get holes in them or anything and i guess they were cheap but it was like this is appalling just how piss poor these tires actually are performing so those would be the one that you know based on what i've seen and what's funny is a lot of these things are like hit or miss and a lot of things are made by the same company or whatever in different molds and off-brand stuff and like there's a lot of stuff that you'll get that's that's off-brand that works really well and then you get some other cheap off-brand tire and it's terrible but like across the board most dot tires are pretty similar as far as which ones work the best the the regular bias ply sx swampers now i mean that's a dot tire but it's not something that most guys would 
consider for like highway driving too frequently, you know, just because it's a bias ply, like aggressive TSL type of tire. Those things work really well in the 36, 12 and a half and 38, 12 and a half sizes. Um, they, they, they definitely are a good DOT tire option. Um, the old Mickey or not Mickey, um, Goodyear, um, Wrangler MTR Kevlar, right? The ones that, uh, they're now discontinued, but those tires, not only were they big, they were like true to size for like a 35 or a 37. Um, biggest thing about those tires, they work incredibly well in the snow. And I have no idea why I can't even put my finger on like what makes those tires work so well in the damn snow, but they do. They are, they are super, super, super killer tires. A lot of the Nitto Toyo stuff works well, you know, Cooper's Goodyear, like there's a bunch of, crossover you know what i mean but i would have to oh, yeah. say yeah worst possible tire that i have ever seen and you know no offense to guys you love them if you love them then good for you um the federal Courageia mt those tires are are pretty pretty sad tires and rocks <laughs> so we're coming up on the um like the cutoff limit if you will uh we'll We'll extend it a little bit because I want to get a quick answer on this. What is the deal with Paragon right now? Okay. There's a lot of stuff going on with Paragon. Um, there are multiple people. I don't know. I can't probably say a lot of this stuff on the air, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying. It's not a cop-out, but it's like there's a lot of stuff that's in the works, and there's a lot of people involved. And uh, what I can say is it's going to – it has the potential to go one of multiple ways. I'd say there's probably four at least realistic ways that that thing could go between state-run control and private entity control and um, possibly some hybrid of, of the two. Um, what my concern is, and it may not impact our... Uh, ability to do events there or something like that directly but um i think i have a sneaking suspicion and i guess i'll just say it this way i wouldn't be surprised if it opens up as atv and side by side only and they don't wow sizes in there so let's just put it that way um you know don't quote me on that and there's a lot of things still up in the air but i i i would not be at all surprised if that it, depending on what of the say four to five scenarios play out that that would be probably the worst possible scenario for rec wheeling with full sizes with guys like yourselves that want to get down there paragon's phenomenal though like we used to comp there years ago when kyle nosp ran it who now runs the badlands that he got from troy myers years ago um you know who's no longer with us unfortunately but um yeah, that place is another. Again, I'm not a geologist, but I guess it's probably because where like four mountains come up out of the. Well, have you guys ever wheeled there? I guess you were all too no. young to ever get out there. Yeah. So that property is cool. It was originally like, it's sizable, like 16,000 acres or something when it was first opened, I think is what they had that they advertised. And there's some land use stuff that's kind of gray area and whatnot but it's sizable regardless i don't know how much of that is going to reopen and there's also some dcnr stuff for conservation 
concerns and things that have to go into it because of the state side of how that's being played out. But um, yeah, that place has like four mountains that come together and it just pushed big, big rocks. So there's like enormous rocks the size of houses and like there's a slab wall all the way down off the one corner that's like a massive, massive monolithic rock that's, you know, a couple hundred feet tall and, and you know, I don't know, a couple hundred feet wide times multiple, you know, quite a bit. Um, large stuff like that. It's, uh, it's a shame to see it not getting used. And it's a shame if it doesn't like, you know, you get back there and you see like things grow in that have been unused for years and things like that. And that's, that's a shame to see, but yeah, that is a, that is a very, very useful, wonderful piece of property that I would love to see come back to use. And, you know, again, I certainly hope we'll be able to do comps there and arrange a way to do that, which may or may not be possible, even if they don't allow full sizes because that would be a unique one-off thing but you know for rec wheeling guys i'm sure everybody is hoping that they'll let full sizes in there so, so what's the over under on that thing being open a year from now for full sizes are we talking like <laughs> there, there's, so there's a lot of headaches with like control of land access and right-of-ways. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Reclaim problems, and some of them are circumvented by the fact that the state's involved, but then you got, like, the state does has never taken on a project like this either, so that's, again, a double-edged sword. Um, there's a lot of, of factors. They say they plan to have it open next summer in some capacity. Oh, damn. Whether or not that's going now, whether that's going to be for full now, they haven't said that. I'm pretty sure you will not find any inkling of anything anywhere that says that that's you know in writing going to be open for full size use. But they do say in writing that they plan to have it open by next summer. They may have changed, you know, since taken that down since I last saw, but at least that was the initial plan. And last I knew, I mean, it's bogged down with some stuff, but. I could see it opening up it can, in, you know, the next year or so in some capacity. What capacity that is, if it's the whole thing and who's in control of it is, uh, yeah, not anywhere near as cut and dry. But uh, for sure, it'd be cool to see it back open and useful. That's for sure. It's uh, absolutely one of the best facilities. Probably the favorite facility I've ever wheeled anywhere in the country, to be honest. Wow. Well, so, it's also my first, you know, like that's my home. Like that's the only thing we had when I was starting out years ago. So it's kind of like that was it. And, uh, you know, for comps, we had like Jellico and, you know, Badlands and, you know, other facilities like that. But um, as far as like rec wheeling locally to here during my era, that was it, man. Paragon was that was it. That was the deal. So, so going to put the odds somewhere around that, like, 30% mark? For full sizes or being open? Like, I think being I think open we'll have it open sizes. in some capacity by the end of next summer. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I'll give that a 60-40 in its favor that they will have something or at least be close to it. As far as whether or not it's going to have full sizes... I mean, I, it's hard for me to put a number on that, but I'll be, I'll be semi-skeptical. And the reason for that, like, hear me out here, guys. For every person that has a Jeep or that has any kind of rock crawler or whatever, 
they are, you know, an extreme minority. There's a thousand guys or more that have a quad or a dirt bike or a side-by-side. -side. When you look at things from a headache versus like investment return, you know, scenario standpoint, it doesn't make sense. And anytime you run like, so AOA has been, frankly, I don't know how they get away with this as well as they do and don't have constant accidents but pretty much every property that allows both atvs and side-by-sides and full sizes you end up with people getting killed right oh like yeah that guy's going 60 miles an hour on a banshee on a dusty road and you can't see and some guy's coming up in his cherokee and when those guys hit head on like that's how the guy on the quad dies there's yep. do not pass go go directly to deceased so yeah i mean that's uh I get it. You know, like it's a headache. It's an insurance problem. It's you look at Roush. That's why they have, you know, what used to be Tower City Trail Riders is now Roush Creek Trail Riders. They separate all that sort of thing. Full sizes stay full. I, I highly doubt that it would ever be full size only, you know, which is kind of what it was. At one point they did allow quads and then somebody died. So that then Paragon became full size only. But I, I can tell you that is probably zero percent, I would say, chance of it being full size only. Chance of it being full size is allowed at all. I don't know. I guess I'll be I'll say forty percent and be positive, but I'd say it's probably lower than that in my head. So Wow. Yeah. Well, I guess um so the reason that we were asking is there was that big hubbub. We all did that survey. And we host an event um, Labor Day weekend called the Web Wheelers Ball. Mm -hmm. And that was on the radar for one of our events. There's another off-road park they're trying to build further north than that. There's multiple, you know, this area. They're working real hard to try to uh, do what they're doing at Hatfield and McCoy and let, like, side-by-sides run on the road legally and drive into town and support local businesses. They're trying real hard to be, like, Moab of the East in southeastern Pennsylvania coal region, which is cool because it's like that's the only thing you can really do there. You know what I mean? That and big warehousing. There's a ton of big warehousing because it's right off of 81. But um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a a wonderful facility for doing that area in general for doing that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, if you guys can have a chance, you absolutely want to get out there for sure. Right now, I think you're going to be dealing with consultants, and you're not going to get anybody. You're not going to get any further than that. Um, you're, well, you, you answered more questions than I was expecting on that regard, and uh, I'm going to be honest. It sounds like we're going to have to play it by ear, but you know, three, four months into next year, so like uh, about six months from now or so, we're going to have to look at it and consider where we're at because we have. We have to start. You guys plan on doing this for the foreseeable future? Like, is this something you plan on having three years down the road, type of thing? Or is, oh know? yeah, okay. Then what I would say, in my professional opinion, is just don't even worry about it for next year. I would put that down for a two, three year out down the road project. And if you have something that's more surefire, I would focus on that for for next season. That would be so. Great. We've been going to Roush. Roush has been good. Uh, there have been several factors that got it moved to good evening uh, this year. It's a trial basis. If it doesn't work, the fallback was Roush or AOAA. Um, What's the format for this ride? 
if you guys don't mind explaining. Show up, bring beer, go <laughs> wheeling. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like just a big event where we go out and like um, my goal for this particular one is I'm gonna try and hip hop around or bebop is the uh, Frankie term around <laughs> the groups and just go wheel with a bunch of people that listen um that we know it's kind of like a self-indulgent get together if you will is it a public thing where like anybody you sell yeah. tickets and anybody can show nope. up not even tickets okay show up you just well, go to the weekend like there's no cost or anything other than what they charge you to get into the park type of thing like just show yeah. up yeah it's show up it's it's not the term event is a very loose term it's just right. hey we're gonna be here uh a bunch of people who have either been on or we've talked with, we've invited and, or friends of ours, right. Are coming, you know, if you want to wheel and wheel with some cool people, sure. then here you go. Here's yeah, the opportunity. It, it only gets called an event because it gets written on my calendar. Yeah, that I <laughs> so I guess you guys don't have like guided rides and it's like, you sign up for this and we run this. No, trail no, this. No. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, um, if, if somebody were to hit us up, though, that was, like, new to a property or something and, like, specifically, like, asked to wheel with us, I would say we probably would do something like that. Like, I'm not, like, we're not going to just leave them high and dry just because they're showing up. Well, yeah, no, I mean, they, you'd stick them in with somebody. I'm just saying you don't advertise, like, there's a blue group and a green group and that's run no, by this. It's, yeah, right, right. Let's go find somebody who looks cool and has a similar size rig and go have fun. Wait, yeah. Right. Yeah, that makes um, it easy, man. I mean, at that point, you really don't have to account for a whole lot you know what i mean as long as the park is physically open to like have you show up that weekend you're mm -hmm. not really you guys aren't specifically holding the ball for much of anything it's just you're having guys you're promoting for their park is basically what yeah that's exactly how it kind of works out and like um this year with the good evening trip, they're hosting a memorial ride the same weekend, and they're doing barrel racing, I believe, as a means to um, generate donations for the kids' facilities on the park. Mm. Uh, so we're just asking people to throw like 20 bucks into the donation yeah. pool, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, what you guys said earlier, I know you said, you know, you guys got to get out of here, and I do too, but you <laughs> asked how guys can get the local regional whatever rec wheeler can get into this sign up for our website you know what i mean our forum get involved show up for events and honestly share the stuff that we put out share the stuff that we promote like that helps so much on social media and whatever because i can sit there and talk about stuff till i'm blue in the face it's like you know high school party syndrome like if you invite people to your party it's like well, who's coming and what's this it's like nobody yep. cares but it's like if the captain of the football team says oh there's going to be this party everybody's going to show up for that right you know what i mean it's one of those sort of things so having other guys share what we're doing and promote and say hey this is cool you should go check it out and uh I appreciate you guys having me on here and, and, you know, taking the time to let me speak my piece and interviewing me and all that kind of stuff. Cause this sort of thing helps, you know, it's a platform. We do our own like live stream. Um, our social media gal, Tiffany Andrews, um, does interviews every, uh, Every Thursday at 8.30 p.m., she has some, either one of our sponsors on or a competitor or somebody in the off-road industry. Um, and everybody was bugging me to come on that. 
You know what I mean? To be like, but that's not for me. That's for like our sponsors. Nobody needs to hear me ramble on on my own stuff. We get exposure just by doing that thing. So I, you know, it's uh, I appreciate you guys having me on and giving me the platform to talk about what we do and uh, occupy however long it's been of your guys' time at this point. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very um, when we rebooted the Web Wheelers Ball. It was originally a North American XJ kind of ish thing that involved a couple of the old timers from that and Chris Ball. Yes, that's old school. Um, so <laughs> we rebooted that as a uh, means of hanging out with a buddy of ours, Curtis, and trying to get Chris Ball back out there. And um, it was originally like four rigs the first year. And then suddenly it became like the next year was how many rigs? 20 or so? You talking about Curtis Powell? Is that who no, Curtis, um, <laughs> Curtis Barons. The lesser uh, Curtis. You probably <laughs> yeah. haven't heard of him. No, I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't wheel that much, but we no, still he, love him. He's a very he's smiley guy, though. He's a very nice guy. Right. You can't miss him in a room. No. Towers overall, six <laughs> foot what eight and ginger? No, I think he's only six. He's only like six don't four. He's not him so much. Holy shit! <laughs> I don't know. He makes me feel short, and I'm five eleven. <laughs> so whatever. Uh, but the long story short is, the next year that we held it, we had over forty five rigs, and now for this year. We had to uh, have conversations with Good Evening about moving around cabins and whatnot to be able to get everyone in. So mm-hmm. it's going to yeah. be a good show out this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're great people. I mean, Bobby Wood and Billy Gerald and Chris Coon and all those guys. I don't know who exactly you guys are dealing with, but all of them are great. Amy, like, you know, in the office, everybody's good. So. Yep. So normally we leave on a quirky note, but instead... Could you give us some dad advice to close out the podcast? Dad advice, okay. Um, let's see. Don't push your kids to do things. That's my single biggest dad advice that I tell everybody, right? Like everybody messages me and is like, Hans, when are you going to have your kid in a rock crawler? He's just like you, like he's going to do this. And I said, no, nah, if he wants to do that, I'm going to let him do that. I'm not, you know what I mean? I don't want to push my kid like I love my dad to death, but I can tell you that <laughs> His, I mean, we have some shared interests, but he's not in rock crawling. His interests and my interests are, you know, quite far apart, and that's fine. And that's where I'm at with my kid. My kid actually bowls. He's like a bowling savant. It's amazing. Oh shit, that's cool. Yeah, he can. Uh, like he bowls over 200 routinely. Like he, unlike uh, sport patterns and stuff. I mean, the kid is he's he's amazing. He started bowling at four years old, and he just knew how to do it. I mean, maybe wow. I'm lucky so if I get tournaments, 70. leagues, and all that stuff. <laughs> anyway, but uh, that's funny because that's another sport that like people make fun of bowling or like you know whatever. It's like, dude, that's paying out a hundred thousand dollars per event. So, <laughs> next time you make fun of bowling, like look at you know where we're at with rock crawling. <laughs> yeah. The reason that professional cornhole is on TV and you know rock crawling is. But yeah, that's my dad advice for you fellas. Um, if you have children, or maybe some of you already do, I didn't ask that question, but you know, if you're planning on it or whatever, if you have a kid, as much as people pressure you to do it or you may want to do it, don't try to make your kid into your, you know, your carbon copy of yourself or live vicariously through your kid. Let your kid make his own journey and do what he wants to do and let him turn into as long as it's something that you can get behind, you know, and it's reasonable and decent and 
not something you just absolutely are opposed to. Let him sort his stuff out and, and have his own journey and do his own thing and grow into the person that, that he or she is going to grow into. And uh, you guys will have a better relationship that way. It'll be better for everybody. And uh, who knows? You know, that's they're probably better doing their calling than your calling. So Hell yeah. Hell yeah. On that note, everyone have a good night. And uh, we'll see you next week.